We reference the television series Smallville a lot around here, and there's one Smallville rewatch podcast that's always at the top of my queue. Always hold on to Smallville, hosted by our pal, Zach Moore. Zach and his guests bring tremendous insight, passion, and humor as they discuss each and every episode of the series that ushered in the renaissance of superhero TV. Listen to Always Hold On to Smallville wherever you get podcasts, and keep an eye out for the other shows under the Always Hold On to banner, including Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Superman and Lois, and Star Wars. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam is based in the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They're also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics to see their latest comic pickups and shop adventures. 30 years ago, I stood in front of a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. That moment outside Heroes World set me on a path, a lifelong fan journey leading directly from that tattered red cape to this podcast. Now, together, we mine Superman's vast 85-year mythology by examining, discovering, and reconsidering the stories that have shaped the last son of Krypton. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Arrowverse's adaptation of Crisis on Infinite Earths is the host of the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast, returning guest, Zach Moore. Welcome back. I'm always around. You sure are. Red skies are back, baby, and you're here this time. This time you're not missing out. Last year, we did our epic run of episodes looking at all of DC Comics crisis-level events. You and I had talked a little bit about maybe covering the Arrowverse event then, but you had just covered it on one of your shows, and I was really zeroed in on the comics at that point, and we had a lot of ground to cover, so we put mm -hmm. a pin in it. But here we are now, and I feel like this is the perfect time to do it, because here we are early in 2024, and we can look at this television adaptation of the seminal comic book storyline, and then at the end of this year, I will do an episode on the animated trilogy that is currently underway. So this year, we'll have a couple of Red Skies events tied into these adaptations. So it should be a lot of fun. I mean, DC Comics keeps going back to that well, so makes sense that you would as well. I might as well. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but this Which is I am, I am far more interested now in those animated movies, knowing that allegedly Kevin Conroy did a final voice performance as Batman in it, which not only to me says, oh, Kevin Conroy's final performance is Batman, I'm in, but also, oh, they're actually going to do a Christ on Infinite Earths with other universes and uh, cartoons and animated shows that we are aware of instead of like just from scratch, which to me is pointless. <laughs> so <laughs> I, so we'll see how it plays out. I haven't watched, I, part one is currently out, part two is coming out soon. I haven't watched... Uh, any of it, but uh, when they're complete, I'll sit down and watch them all. So that's my plan there. Same here. Same here. It might be, it might sound surprising that I haven't watched part one yet, but I'm not doing an episode on it yet. So that's why I haven't <laughs> got to watch right. it yet. <laughs> our free to our time is very valuable. And we're going to watch superhero stuff and it has to be a reason. <laughs> very much so. But this was the five part crossover event that aired in late 2019 and early 2020 across Arrow, Flash, Batwoman, Supergirl, and DC's Legends of Tomorrow, adapting that 12 issue maxi series by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. And it marked what would be what would be the final major event of the Arrowverse as we knew it, though it might not have necessarily felt that way at the time, but that's what it 
proved to be, but it was an event that they had been building to for a while. And I've been curious to revisit it. I only ever watched it as it was coming out. And at that point in time, we had just had our son that August. So he was only a few months old. So it was early days of parenthood. So that whole period is a bit of a daze. (laughs) And I was so swept up in the return of Tom Welling as the Clark Kent of Smallville, which we've talked about on the show before, and you've talked about on your show, and you and I have talked about off mic, and we'll talk about it here. But there was a lot of that going on. And as I've discussed, my initial reaction to that scene wasn't the most positive. My feeling has changed over time. But initially, once we got past that, and then we had the big break in between parts three and four, by the time the thing wrapped up, it just, I wasn't as plugged into it. And I never went back to it. So this was the first time that I sat down over yesterday and today, watched the entire thing, you know, in a relatively concentrated period of time. And I quite enjoyed it. What was your experience with your rewatch? Yeah, this is probably the third time I've watched it properly start to finish. Uh, I've watched scenes over and over and over and over. We'll talk about some of that, right? Um, So I remember when it first came out, it felt very anticlimactic, especially part four and five coming out like a month later in the same night. It felt like, ah, let's get this thing over with. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what happened here? Like, that's how it felt. And then rewatching it, uh, because on my Patreon, we were we had a Patreon show called Always One to the Flash. So, uh, we, the Flash, the 1990 Flash, because it's one of my favorite shows, which is going to come into our conversation here, no doubt. And I'm like, well, well, this is a good ex- excuse for us to talk about this. So, me and Matt Truix, uh, who's been on your podcast as well, uh, we 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 rewatched it and, and talked about it, but not like didn't do some like blow by blow thing, and not that we will be doing so here either. But you know, just kind of did it over, kind of fly over of it all, and and I remember like thinking. I, I like it. I think I liked it more, but I also like some, some things stuck out to me like, Oh, well, that was some missed opportunities, you know, cause, cause the hype is gone right by then. <laughs> and then now rewatching, I was like, okay, I, I really admire what they did. Uh, it's interesting. Like I can kind of, I'm looking for certain things. I'm like looking for the seams now. I'm like, I noticed a lot of things, like a lot of characters saying, Hey, we're so-and-so or oh, well, they're off doing that. Because, you know, scheduling and shooting and then like characters are they're in locked off one shots and group shots. Like, oh, surely Grant Gustin came the next day and shot this. For example, fun stuff to notice when you're rewatching it, because now I'm like, I'm looking for stuff I get this time. But ultimately, like I, I enjoyed it. I, I do think it was a monumental thing to undertake. And I applaud them uh, for the attempt. I, I think they a lot of they did a lot of great things. I think they dropped a ball on a few things. Um, I think necessarily does it hold together as a, like a, a start to finish narrative? I don't know, but like, I, I, it's, it's so hard for me to, to judge this thing because of, um, the nostalgia for, you know, Smallville, the 1990 flash, Brandon Routh as Superman, Kevin Conroy in the flesh. Uh, and then of course I, I, I loved a lot of the Arrowverse at the time. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's. It's still it's crazy that this is this has been you're saying 2019. That's the you know it's it's four and a half years old at this point, uh, or, or you know maybe a little a little less. But to me, it just feels like this just came out. You know, so I, I feel like my thoughts haven't really cemented. And if anything, my rewatch taught me. I'm like I don't know. I got to give this a few more years before I can start talking about like where it truly ranks for me. If that makes sense. No, I totally hear you. I think overall, it's fair to say this was this was a bit of a mixed bag with some missed opportunities, but with some incredible moments and fan service and payoffs and the fact that it exists at all 
is pretty mm-hmm. amazing from that production standpoint. And just to see that comic brought to life in this way, and people might differ on this, but having reread the original comic not that long ago, I feel like this did a very strong job of adapting the core beats and ideas and themes of the comic. It's not a direct translation. It couldn't be. <laughs> but I think that they made it work within the context of the universe that they built. And certainly the mix of characters is different than we had in the comic. It, it's not a, a one-to-one. But I feel like they they really did a very admirable job of honoring the source material while making it work in the context of this. But to your point about looking for the seams, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like an example, there's a moment where Vibe, Killer Frost, and Flash transport into to the basement of Star Labs. And all you see of Flash is that quick streak of lightning as he zips away. And Frost is like, oh, we, like, where's Barry going? And, and Cisco's like, oh, he had to do some recon on the perimeter. So yeah, <laughs> things like that might be a little bit more sensitive to, especially upon rewatch and knowing just how strained the production schedule was, juggling right. all of these actors and five shows. And though Black Lightning, the show wasn't itself an official part of the crossover, the character of Black Lightning played by Chris Williams it was. So they also had right. that in the mix as well, on top of all of the cameos. Yeah, and you know, talking about uh, being a good adaptation of Crisis, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go too. A lot of the things are very similar. Like, it's like, hey, you thought you won, and then, oh, wait, here's this extra thing, and it's not over yet. I'm like, oh, that, that feels like oh, we got to stretch this out over five. But no, like that's that's the story. That's literally how it went in the comic books. And I think you can you can lose sight of that uh, sometimes. And also, you know, Christ on Infinite Earth, you think, oh my, all these characters and all these people. Like, I mean, if you if you look at the comic book, like, yeah, you see a lot of Earths and they get destroyed and then you move on. But there's not a lot of like, you know, people from Earth so-and-so and Earth whatever together all like, Earth to Superman is the big, you know, through line. Like he's at the end and whatnot. Um, so as disappointed as it might have been, because to me, I was like, "Oh wow!" Like I, I we're gonna we're gonna bring everybody in. It's gonna be awesome, right? And then it just turns out, actually, it's all the characters you've been watching on these shows, which which makes sense because it is those shows. So it's hard to hold that against them. But I felt a little disappointed. Like, I don't know. I kind of wanted to see Kingdom Come Batman over here by Kevin Conroy next to Brandon Ralph Superman. Like, I wanted to see these combinations of characters. Also, because we didn't listen, friends. This is before there was a show called Superman and Lois, and we didn't get to see Superman very often. So any Superman himself in the flesh was 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 just perfect to us. And we're, we're so excited for it. And so to, to see like, oh, I guess I guess there is that's it. For Superman, like that's that's stuff that's disappointing, but you can't hold it against them for making the stars of their shows the heroes. You know what I mean? I know. I had I had to make some peace with that, and I yeah. I think I landed in a similar place because you're watching it, and it's like, wow, how convenient that five out of the seven paragons were all people that we already knew. I, I yeah, I mean that's. Why even do that? That is that's the thing. they draw attention to the fact. Well, there are seven across time and space. So I'm like, great, we're gonna go collect John Wesley's ship, and we're gonna get Brandon Routh, and maybe a Tom Willing, you know, and 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 maybe an Ashley Scott Huntress. I mean, I know that's a deep cut, but she was there, right? So I'm like, I don't know. That's what that that to me, that's a main thing I would have changed. Like, make all the Paragons from other universes, and then you don't have to have a lot of screen time, but that that makes them special. 
Like, we're going to go on a search for the Paragons. Oh, look, like you said, five and seven of them are here in this room right now from Earth One. And uh, it it also amused me uh, when um, when they kept, uh, you know, when, when it starts, they wrote like Earth One, Earth 89, whatever. And then it gets to a point, like probably the second or third episodes, are, where every time it's like Earth One, Earth One. I'm like, okay, it's everything's on Earth One. Don't act like it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I feel like, though, they didn't help themselves because they revealed the Paragons in two stages. There was the initial four that we had some clarity on, and then Ray was creating his detector, and then they revealed mm. the remaining three. And, and again, it's like two out of the three are in the room. So I, yeah. I feel like... They might not have done themselves any favors there. But yeah, no, that's the thing. I And looking at the comic, having all of those heroes from different Earths in the same space, you know, there's there, there's something very appealing about that. Here, in fairness, yeah, they have their core actors who they're utilizing. And even just having the, the actors from those six shows on screen together is a big deal. They've had plenty of crossovers, but this was... Mm-hmm. But even that, it was always a special event, and this was on a whole other scale. So you, you had those those crossover moments uh, and opportunities to see characters together you didn't normally. But yes, you still can't help but feel like there was a bit of a missed opportunity with these other ones. And the one that the one that drove me nuts though was the Brandon Routh Superman because here's an actor who's a main cast member on one of your shows, so you have him, right? And you're utilizing him in this capacity as Superman. And when we get to Vanishing Point and he mm. is and he disappears and we find out that Lex Luthor rewrote the Book of Destiny to make himself the Paragon. I just like it broke my heart because all I wanted was more yes. time with the Brandon Routh Superman. And out of everyone, they, they could have had him. <laughs> He's the guy. Yeah, this is great. So like <laughs> the thing with him is um He's he has some great stuff in here. And then they get to there and he's like all strolling around. He's like, well, I'm like, oh, he's he's gonna be in charge of these guys now. And I'm, I was so hyped. And then he turns into Lex Luthor. I was like, oh no, is that it for Brandon Routh? And you know, he got his little Christopher Reeve ending fly off into space at the end. So thank goodness for that. Uh, because unlike Smallville, we know that his Earth still <laughs> survived. I'm still waiting on confirmation that Earth 167 didn't get erased. Um, I see I this rewatch, speaking of things that like, you know, that helped you reconsider it, like I was like, ah, it makes a lot of sense though that Lex Luthor would do that if you're gonna have Lex, he would replace Superman. And I really like John Cryer's Lex. And uh, and this like he is and I kind of, I, you know, this is, should be obvious to everybody. But this time I was like, oh, he is being the Gene Hackman Lex Luthor, basically like in a little a little post crisis thrown in there, which makes sense because John Cryer in Superman four as Lenny Luthor, like all the connection points are there. But the thing is, is not just it goes beyond. I, I, always, I really enjoyed his casting because um, it goes beyond just like, oh, yeah, this guy was in Superman four. It's like, oh, this is an Emmy Award winning actor uh, who, you know, like this, this guy is legit. And he he quickly became one of my favorite Lex Luthers. And it's I used to say he's like my second favorite one, but I don't think I can say that because he never really faced Superman. And that's a big asterisk on there. Uh, you know, we talked about Krypton recently on your podcast. I'm like, man, I love Colin Sam and his general Zod. But can I say he's my favorite if he never fought Superman? I don't think I can. But that's a good problem to have. It's good to have a bunch of great Zods and a bunch of great Luthers. But this this time, Anthony, that's where my my train of thought went after you said that. I was like, OK, I get it. I get it why Lex replaced Superman, but that was such a loss. It was such a loss because I thought, okay, he can keep the momentum going for the, the second half because in the Crisis comic book, Earth 2 Superman is around. You know, he, and he, that's basically who he's playing, you know, the Earth 2 Superman. 
like, just a melting pot of all the Kingdom Come and Christopher Reeve and Brandon Ralph Superman. And to your point, he is a cast member. <laughs> You're paying him <laughs> already. So, oh man. But but you know, why don't we why don't we take a step back and think about when we first heard about the, when this was going to happen, right? You're watching the Arrowverse crossover still at this point. Yeah, and we get to the end of Elseworlds Uh with our title card, The Crisis on Infinite Earths is coming. I was was surprised and very excited. Did you have a similar reaction? I was like, they're going to do it. I'm like, we better see Tom Welling. And we did, thank God. Uh, I was hyped to see Psycho Pirate, who they forgot existed in this for some reason. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Whatever. They referenced Deegan, but yeah, I know. We don't... uh, their version of Psycho Pirate. But yeah, but we don't, right. we don't see him. Yeah, but I was like, they're going to do it, right? And then, of course, you know, you speculate and you have your wish list and all that. And then, you know, they start, and this is where, this is where they play themselves, going off those Paragons and all that. Like, they, they start announcing, like, Burt Ward's going to be it. I'm like, wow, Burt Ward. Okay. Ashley Scott's going to be it. I'm like, wow, they remembered Birds of Prey, the TV show, good on them, right? And so they're, they're sprinkling out, you know, the, these announcements. And then finally, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the day that I heard Tom Welling was going to be back as Clark Kent. Specifically as Clark Kent. It's very important. Um, because, look, when you heard Brandon Routh was going to be in, I'm like, well, yeah, of course. You know, But when you heard Tom Welling was going to be in, all right, now, now you have my attention. You have my curiosity, but now you have my attention, right? And then the next day, Erica Durance is going to be in the crisis in multiple episodes. I'm like, oh, wow. Erica Durance is going to be in multiple episodes. Of course, she's playing... Supergirl's mom and like what a loophole there. And I remember I'm like, this this happened in back-to-back days, Anthony. And I was making, I was so in on social media at this point. I was making posts, I was doing podcasts, and I was ready. I literally blocked out the time, drafted up a post. I'm like, for okay, obviously tomorrow they're gonna announce Michael Rosenbaum. Because of course they would, because Stephen Amell started a wine company with these guys. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, right? Because who had been more plugged into all this? I mean, obviously Eric Rance was appearing occasionally on Supergirl. Uh, but Stephen Mill had really been pushing Tom and Michael. You know, it's, it's like, oh, teasing them, right? And then no, it never comes. It never comes, and there's no Michael Rosenbaum. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, at least there's Tom Welling, because you know, I never would have expected the reverse, right? This this is where the paradigm started to shift for me, where I'm like, oh, I guess Tom Welling is more into this than Michael Rosenbaum after all, right? absolutely that's the thing and when we talk about the passage of time here like yourself for me it feels like this was just yesterday but it but it was almost five years ago and well even longer when we factor when we're talking about these announcements and in recent years tom welling now has become a regular on the convention circuit which i never thought i would see he and rosenbaum do a smallville rewatch podcast never thought i would see that so it was a sort of thing where the idea of Tom Welling coming back as Clark, I just didn't know that he had the interest in that. So as much as, and you and I didn't know each other at this point, if we had, I'm sure we would have been speculating and whatnot, but it was one of those things where, you know, of course it's a possibility, but I didn't really entertain it until, uh, until it became real with that announcement. So the, the thing that I guess I'll always be grateful for is, for that period of time leading up to the episode of Batwoman, hour hour two that uh, he, he appears in, I, it was the first time in almost a decade that I had that specific level of excitement 
that I used to have for Smallville all the time and heightened because we hadn't seen him in so long and what's it going to be like? So yeah, it was, it was a very, very exciting time. I wish I could say that my, my experience watching it for the first time lived up to that excitement. Mm-hmm. As I've talked about my, my initial uh, viewing was, was one of disappointment in terms of how they handle the character, but I, I've come around on that in a big way. And so I definitely had a lot more fun with it this time, but I, I imagine you had a similar level of excitement heading into that. Oh man, it was <laughs> incalculable. I'm like, oh, this is cause I, you know, I'm in the, I mean, I think around season five, I was just starting season five of the podcast at that point. I'm like, this is great. I got the Smallville podcast. I got Smallville people coming back. It, you know, I was like literally staying up late and recording podcasts and posting the next day. I'm like, this is a, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity here. I'm not going to let this pass. And, and, uh, those are some great times, you know, I mean, uh, it wasn't just, and to me, it wasn't just Tom Welling. It was it was Kevin Conroy and it was John Wesley Ship. And I was like, these are these are heroes of my childhood all coming back and converging the same thing. Like crazy times. And, and yeah, it's um, it to, and to me, it held up. You know, I mean, I, so should we just? I mean, I don't know how I don't know how you want to format know, this conversation. <laughs> I know you've asked me about what what I had in mind for the structure of this, and I was like, oh, I don't know that I have that specific of one. I mean, I think very broadly speaking. <laughs> There are a few ways to look at this. There's certainly the Superman of it all and the super and the Smallville of it all. And I think for for you and I and for our audience, uh, I suspect we'll spend a fair amount of time on that. But then there's also, as we've already uh, hit on, this television event as an adaptation of the comic book series. And then this event within the context of the Arrowverse specifically and what it paid mm. off, what it maybe was setting up that did or did not come to fruition uh, and, and that's actually one of the other reasons why I wanted to go back to this and watch it again and do an episode on it, because I've not really, other than talking about the Tom Welling scene in Crisis, I really haven't done any episodes where we've gotten into the Arrowverse. And I feel like whenever the Arrowverse comes up in conversation, I speak about it in kind of a defeated sort of way, because as the years went on, I, I really did lose interest in most of the shows. I watched Arrow all the way to the end, but I stopped before the end of Flash, before the end of Legends, even before the end of Supergirl and before the end of Batgirl. And Crisis was really the last hurrah for me in in most of those respects. And I, I don't, it, it, it it's unfortunate to me that that's sort of been, that sort of now colored my view. The fact that it sputtered out, in my opinion, after Crisis uh, that that then sort of colored my view of the Arrowverse as a whole. But I remember at its best, it was, there were some great moments and great seasons and great arcs. And so I kind of wanted to go back to this and, uh, and just revisit it. Cause I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just look at the arrow versus this failed experiment. Cause it, it accomplished something amazing that we hadn't seen before. And I don't know that we'll see again, certainly mm-hmm. not on the CW. <laughs> no, not, not, no, not anymore. You know? So, uh, so kind of, uh, on that note, and I know this is a big question, but just generally speaking, your experience with the Arrowverse, I know you own all the seasons, but have you, yeah. have you watched all the shows? Did you, did you similarly lose interest with some or all of them? And and if so, where, where did that happen? Yes. So I, of course, watched Arrow when it started and I was like, you're not Justin Hartley. Why are you in Lex Luthor's house and all that kind of attitude? But Arrow quickly won me over because I think the first two seasons of Arrow are, are really great, and uh, especially the second one. I think the second season of Arrow is like the gold standard for the Arrowverse. And then they introduced the Flash. I'm like, wow, the Flash is could it be even better? Like that first season of the Flash is 
a great season of television. You know, Tom, Tom Cavanaugh, just just what a guy, what an actor to be playing all these uh, layers of this character. You know, Reverse Flash, and 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 is is so get, having the comic knowledge you you have, you're like, mm, what are they doing here? And they slowly reveal, like, okay, all right, you guys know what you're doing. I should know. Jeff Johns, close personal friend of always on the Smallville. Jeff Johns, of course, uh, was involved. You know, so of course, of course, he's not going to drop the ball when it comes to like these Flash origin stories and whatnot. So he. he uh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he set him straight. Any more crazy ideas about Reverse Flash in those early years? But that that whole storyline. So I'm like, oh, this is great, you know. And you know, then Supergirl comes to CBS. I'm like, wow, we're we're going like more mainstream now. And even uh, Constantine. I, I watch Constantine on NBC. You know, that's a whole other level to this. Uh, and that's another thing that feels like a crossover. And and I guess it is, but it's kind of not. He's he's a you know a relatively large part of this, John Constantine. And so I'm you know I'm like. I'm all in on these shows, but you know, as time goes on, like I, I start this Smallville podcast and like, that's going to take up a lot of my time, like rewatching the show and recording it. And, you know, I, I got a life I'm trying to live here too. So like, you know, there, there's only so much time in the day and uh, like the shows started to dip in quality. And I, around, I don't know what year this was, maybe like 20, 2016 or, or 15 i don't know like season three of the flash i think is where where i started to fall off and i think that's funny right when i ask people a similar question they always say like around that time and i season four of arrow was terrible but season five was really good but then i felt like okay i, I feel like we've told our story now like i don't know i mean they kept going but it was always supposed to be a five-year story so i'm like this is a good jumping off point, especially because I'm busy. And I never intended the thing is I never like said, I am not going to watch these anymore. It was just kind of a just kind of fizzled out, man. Like like Legends, I was trying to keep up, right? A Black Lightning. I watched the whole first season. I thought that was a fantastic show then. Um it's as Supergirl came over the CW. Like I, I, I there was just too many sh- ultimately, there are too many shows. Like if there were if there were like two or three shows, I probably would have stayed with them all. But when there's like six or and occasionally the random other one, like a Constantine or something, I'm like, I can't keep up. And I'm trying to watch Smallville now and there's movies, you know, so it, I just it's it's a, an embarrassment of content. Right. And I just it was too much. And um, now had they all been to the quality of Arrow season one two, Flash season one, I would have like made the time to watch it maybe. But I, I think they just suffered from spreading themselves too thin. You can even see that with. You know, once the flash starts, arrow starts to go down and they they come back up, thankfully. Um, but you just that, that's just there's only so much creativity to go around and 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 we got you crank you we, we talk about Smallville. Well, you know, they had to crank out 22 episodes a year. The Arrowverse is cranking out like a hundred episodes a year. So I, I don't like, you know, I I don't envy them if the the job presented to them, but I just that is the combination of of too many shows, too much of a quality dip, inconsistent quality. And just living life, and and a combination of that, I just fizzled out. Like I, you know, I know a lot of people that kept watching all the shows, and and good and bad, and I just I just couldn't keep up. So that's that's where I am. We had similar experiences, and like yourself, there was never any point where I was like, "I'm done, I'm dropping the show." It was this gradual fade out where the episodes were piling up on the DVR, and then it got to the point where. Well, they're on Netflix a week after the season ends. I'll just watch them then. And then they hit Netflix and then I still didn't watch them. <laughs> and I know I echo everything you said. I just think that, yeah, the number of episodes and the number of series and seasons, just all of it, it's, 
I don't know that I just had, I don't know. I think had the quality been there, I would have been able to sustain the interest, but it, it just, it, it wasn't necessarily, uh, it's funny when you mentioned arrow season two, uh, like yourself, I, I hold that up as one of my favorite seasons of any of these superhero shows, but it was an important lesson, I think, because I remember watching that and not that I want to be clear, it never supplanted Smallville in my mind or in my heart, but there was a feeling at a certain point in Arrow season two, and it was really firing on all cylinders where it's like, man, like this is so good. And it's just the character fully realized and we're, we're pulling in all these characters. And with Smallville, it was always that we we're building towards something. Mm. Uh, and there was that brief moment where I was like, man, I, you know, I we, we wish Smallville had a season like this. But <laughs> what I recognize when I see the trajectory of the show, well, all the Arrowverse shows, it, there's something to be said for Smallville and the, the long game yep. that it was playing, frustrating though it was at times, but there was this larger picture that we were building toward. And I feel like that's what allowed that show to sustain, sustain itself for a full decade and to hold my interest and your interest for as long as it did. Whereas some of these other shows, they gave us a lot of stuff that was really cool to see for a certain amount of time, but I just, I don't know that there was enough there to, to really keep it going. So I, I had a similar experience. I mean, I, I was there for cry. And then once crisis passed, uh, I think I finished that season of flash and I finished that season of Supergirl, but by the time the next season was rolling around, oh. I was just, I would tapped out. Well, you're watching for Sam Whitwer, Doomsday. Yes. That season of Supergirl. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, real quick, I, I have gone through a similar journey. I'm sure I was telling people, like, listen, y'all, Arrow was better than Smallville ever was. Like, if you asked me, like, in 2013, that's what I would be telling people. I'm like, it's blowing my mind. But there's something to be said for a little restraint, you know? Where it's like, oh hey, we did the whole reverse flash story. Now what? I don't know. I guess do it again with a different with a different guy. I met I've said this on, on the on the podcast, on my podcast somewhere before. But I got to meet Teddy Sears at a convention. And just a cool, chill dude. Uh talked to him for a few minutes and uh we're talking about, you know, of course, the flash. And he's like, Yeah, you know, when they pitched me the character, uh, I was like, that sounds like what you guys did in season one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this guy gets it. This guy gets it. Now, season season I feel like the Flash is a lot like Heroes where it's like the second season gets pulled down by everything that came afterward. Like I don't I don't think like it's not as great as those first seasons of those shows. But the second season is like this kind of intermediate like there's some good stuff there. It's not quite as perfected as the first season was, but it's but it's 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 good in its own right. But then, you know, just when you have the Flash continues to get, you know, well, worse and worse pulls down that second season. But no, there's absolutely something you said for small because you have that endpoint, right? And with like with Arrow, like what they should have done was tease out the island and he's five years and he gets off. But then you're you're off the island at the end of season two. You're like, well, what are we doing here? And then like the flashbacks, which had been one, one of the most compelling parts of the show, become just 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 not good. <laughs> you know, for you know, season three, four. Anyway, but I think, you know, you and I both having lived through Smallville we were we were like it was so gratifying to actually just see a character be the character and not have to wait right forever and so that was a huge part of these shows like oh you're telling me i can watch shows where i just it's the character and it's not like a batman's not gone or superman's not superman yet like this is the prime of their lives like sign me up sign me up yeah i i guess the last last thing i'll say for now at least about the <laughs> comparison between smallville and the arrowverse shows it 
there's undeniably a thrill about watching the Arrowverse at its the Arrowverse at its best, the best seasons of of all of these shows, and seeing these DC Comics characters on screen in all their glory, fully realized as their superhero identities. There is something really, really cool about that. But the other thing that over time really kind of wore on me was how in virtually every show you had the team. Right? All of the heroes yes. were surrounded by their team and there was nary a character to be found on any of the shows who wasn't part of the team and, and who knew the identity and it just felt like it became so much more plot driven. It was always about the big bad of the season and you knew at a certain point you knew what the rhythm of the season was going to be and you and, and I think everybody kind of knows what, what we're talking about and maybe when we get to the later seasons of Smallville when it was probably closer to what the Arrowverse would become. Maybe we can see some more similarities there, but I feel like for the majority of Smallville, it was, it was character driven. And that's why whenever people complain about the freak of the week formula that the show utilized, and I'll quote Tom Welling, who brought this up on a recent episode of their podcast, but we've always recognized this. That was just a device. And yes, some were more compelling than others. Some were really lame, but even the weakest freak of the week episode probably had some character moment some some beat between the two char- between you know characters we're, we're following whose relationship is developing uh, that we always go back to that we hold up and so and when I look back on those smallville episodes that's the stuff I remember probably more than than other, more than the, the freak of the week of a particular episode and I feel like with so many of these arrowverse shows you just you didn't have I feel like they lost the human element um, mm-hmm. especially as the seasons went on. I feel like you had it more at the beginning, uh, certainly of, of, of Arrow and Flash, but as they went on and they like all veered into that direction. So there was yes. also this problem that goes hand in hand with what we're saying about too many seasons, too many episodes, too many series, but of just of sameness, right? And of all kind of following the same patterns. So I know I started this by saying I wanted to remember what was great about the Arrowverse. <laughs> like this well, is what I, I didn't like. <laughs> that's a great segue into Christ Center for Earth because I think it's a, it's a microcosm of the Arrowverse itself. I think because it starts out, you know, maybe at the end, Anthony, we can rank the five parts. Maybe if you, if you want to do that, sure. if, be thinking about that. I, I know what my rankings are having watched them, you know, this weekend, this past weekend. I think it starts out, you know, it, it's a little bit of a slow burn, but then by the time the second and third episodes, it's really hitting its, its stride. And then by the end, you're just like watching things happen in front of your eyes and it's like flashy and it's like, I know that from the comics. That's kind of cool. But it's not like you're like, okay, Ryan Choi, you're going to punch this shadow demon and you're going to be fine. I know. Um, talk about setups and stuff. We'll talk about that a bit. But like, I think, I, I think that's the key, right? Because it, you, they never reached to, well, well, let's just, let's just talk about this. Now, I love the Flash 1990 show. I grew up watching that show. My parents taped it off. TV for me and and uh, I got the DVDs in college and that's why I had a Patreon special show about that to kind of like revisit this this part of my childhood and uh, man and John Lacey ship you know he had been on the Flash the, the new Flash they had wisely incorporated him and he was perfect as Henry Allen I feel like he was a missed opportunity when he got out of jail though he's like I gotta go son I'm like what are you what are you doing like, <laughs> I know I know it's like. There's a, there's a lost episode there because John Relationship is a great actor. It's not like he's some weird stunt casting like, oh, well, we don't know what else to do with him. He's a great actor. And there's a there's a missing episode of The Flash where like Henry Allen gets out of jail, but everybody thinks he's still a murderer and it's real awkward. And then he has to leave like there's just write that episode 
And then you can explain why he had to leave, like reacclimating to life after being in jail for 20 years. Anyway, Henry Allen's on the show. They kill him off. Then he's Jay Garrick. I'm like, okay, we all wanted him as Jay Garrick. He's back. He's Jay Garrick. This is great. Um, and then, like, and this is something. So, so I watched, I pulled out my Arrow season eight Blu-rays and watched this all on a disc for the first time. It's the first time I watched them all together. But there's a lot of bits and pieces that are not in this. Like, I don't know if you recall this, but there's there were all these teases at the end of other episodes. Yes. Before Crisis of like when the monitor shows up and resurrects Lex Luthor and he talks to Martian Manhunter. But there was one of the one of the most amazing three minutes of my television watching was you start. I don't know what show it was the end of, but it was like you, you see you see this this wasteland of like Earth 90, right? Comes up and it's like there's a dead Green Arrow costume, and you're like, was that Justin Hartley, or is that just the Green Arrow Earth 90? I don't know. We're going to talk about it forever, though. And and you see Stargirl costume and all these dead, you know, quote-unquote bodies and hawk people, and you see this guy clawing his way up, and it's 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 John Wesley's ship in the 1990 costume. I'm like, what is this? This is insane. He just came out of a time machine from 1990. It's incredible. I mean, he looks great. The costume, they recreated the costume from scratch. It looks exactly like it did in 1990. I'm like, this is this is what I'm here for. And he talks to the monitor and he's and then he speeds off and they play the theme. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can't wait for crisis. And um, and that was uh that was actually Elseworlds, I think, now that I'm <laughs> Got on this little rant. That was before Elseworlds. Um, so that was even before Crisis because he that that that's because he is the Book of Destiny. I'm saying I'm getting I'm getting these crossovers confused. Um, so excuse me, but even before Crisis, that kind of set up this whole thing because now before the Arrowverse had always been about like oh these shows and here's Supergirl here and sure they'll they'll show you John Wesley ship in a, like uh, in a time in a Speed Force thing, but you're not going to do any this stock footage or whatever. And oh look, it's it's future Connor Hawk from that Legends episode, right? But this was like, oh, he's going to be a character, right? And he did a Elseworlds was cool, but like they didn't do enough with them, and then they brought him back for even more. Anyway, I'm going on and on here, but like to me, the one the the one that had to talk about adapting the comic book, the Flash will die in Crisis, right? This is the whole thing, like the Monitor. That's one of those scenes that that did happen before Crisis. Excuse me, the other one was about Elseworlds. The Monitor tells Flash, "Hey, you're going to die in Crisis." Like all these little bits and pieces here. And everybody, you know, it's it's famous that, that Barry Allen dies in, in the Christ on the Earth. And instead of it making a Grant Gustin, they made it John Wesley Ship, and that was brilliant, I think. And I got, you know, I got choked up and watched him. Like this is the hero of my little kid. He's he 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 uh, he he takes Barry's speed. And I've watched this scene almost as much as the Smallville scene. It's so amazing. And, and he goes on the thing like keep riding the lightning, son. He gives him a wink, and I'm like he he runs backwards and saves the multiverse. And they play the song. You see a flashback to him and Tina McGee. Turns out they got married, which is I love that. I was a big shipper of those two back in the day. She was the she was the Chloe Sullivan of the Flash 1990. Anthony, I'll have you. <laughs> she was the like you're not supposed to be here. But <laughs> anyway, he had I feel like that was an emotional payoff to a character that was well earned. He had been a hero the whole time, and 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 he had been set up before. And I'm like that's like in episode three, <laughs> you know. I'm like, wow, what wonders await us for episodes four and five. Eh, just a bunch of generic action. So it's a very long way of making my point. I, but your point is well taken. And let me say on the note of John Wesley Shipp as the Flash of Earth-90. So I don't share your your love for or your knowledge of that John Wesley Shipp series. However, I'm not totally ignorant of it any longer because our mutual friend Tyler Patrick, he had me on his show, The Krypton Report, a while back. And we watched that pilot for that Flash series. Now, I've had the DVD set on my shelf for years. 
and never watched it. And that provided the motivation. And, and, and I enjoyed it and it was fascinating. And of course, I had seen Ship on, on the Grant Gustin series. So getting to see him in his prime in that flash show was really cool. And uh, definitely gave me greater appreciation when I rewatched this. And I will say, despite Superman being my favorite character and, and really enjoying a lot of what we get on the Superman front, particularly in the form of Brandon Routh, the, the flash of Earth-90 making that sacrifice, taking our Barry's place, I, it was truly emotionally resonant. I, I, yes. I, I was tearing up as I was watching that. Yes, and And yes. that's someone who has not even watched that entire series, but it really worked. And look, speaking about this as an adaptation, I did a whole episode on Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I don't want to beat up on it any further, but just real quick, I'll say I have a lot of love and respect and admiration for what it did. It was clearly a story that was made with a lot of care, a lot of attention to detail, and a lot of affection for DC continuity. But as I said in that episode, for me, <laughs> it was a bit of a slog to get through. It's exceedingly dense. It's a very, very mm. dense story. And it's very plot-driven. And there are some, some key moments, particularly the deaths of Barry Allen Flash and Supergirl. And I feel like, for me, actually, the Supergirl death in the comic, I felt like that packed a punch because I think that that issue gave enough space to her final moments Whereas the death of Barry in the comic, I don't know that it achieved the level of, 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 of impact that it really could have because it felt relatively fleeting amongst everything else yeah. that was happening. And for those who love the comic, you might disagree and that's like, I get it. But watching this, like this was an instance of, wow, it's the death of the Flash. Of course, they have to put a spin on it because we're not killing off Grant Gustin. But it was a great payoff because for years, this has been hanging over the character and the show and us as viewers. It's like, you know, Flash, Flash vanishes in crisis. So to kind of flip that and bring in this character who, you know, fans like yourself had that affection for that particular show. But even if you didn't, he had been a presence in the Arrowverse. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. there's that connection point there. And you're with him in those final moments. And I agree that flashback, the footage from the Flash show, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a small moment, but it goes a long way. And I've, that was an instance where I feel like this really took a moment from the comics and really elevated it and achieved the level of emotion that I felt the comic just wasn't quite able to get to. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of comics from every publisher and time period, along with action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose and Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, a.k.a. my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have kids and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit allyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me now. Aw Yeah! This podcast is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. 
That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Many of you have already used this code and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was brilliant. Like he was the best used in the, as, as I was a little disappointed with him in Elseworlds because like or how little he was in it. Because they started with him. They start with like, I already talked about like a whole teaser of him, you know. And I'm like, oh, he just got wished away or whisked away. But to have him play that that role of the Barry Allen. And, and in this, it's, it's, I mean, I know that Grant Gustin is Barry Allen, but it's almost like he's the kid Flash that was going to continue the mantle. And, you know, and and you and then I was like, why is he so upset? Like, he just met this guy a couple of times, but he looks just like his dad. Yeah. And that's the key. And and the thing was Black Lightning. Like, oh, Black Lightning. Like, this is a new show that I love. I got John Wilson Ship saying, "You're real hero, Jefferson." I'm like, "Oh my, this is this is this is great! What a crossover!" What and then and then the whole scene afterward, for Black Lightning and and uh, Grant Gustin Flash talk and kind of you know process what just happened and talk about their dads and and they, they, I'm like, "This is this is how you bring universes together. This is some great stuff here, right?" That well, that's the thing, and I feel and I'm now I'm kind of scanning through all of these cameos, but I feel like that's that's the one that stands out where you are bridging these Arrowverse shows with the wider world of DC television and even film, which we'll, which we'll get to, but which was probably the most surprising moment of this whole thing when Ezra Miller popped up. But anyway, so, I mean, that's one of the cool things about this was that as, as you've said, it was not just the Arrowverse shows. Now we're, we're connecting them to all of these past and present adaptations. But in most of the instances, as cool as it was to see a lot of these folks pop up in many instances, it's, it's, just for a few moments to watch their world be destroyed. Now that is an important part of the crisis story. And I, I think that serves a vital function here, but to do something like what they did with John Wesley ship, I feel like that's just the sweet spot of, he doesn't have a ton of screen time, but it really packs a punch. And it's, it, it goes beyond just, Oh, seeing him for a minute while his world was being destroyed. Like he really has a vital function mm-hmm. to play in this. I don't mean to nitpick, but there was one thing that I was thinking about as I was rewatching that scene. So they're able to get him off the treadmill, right? The anti-monitor is forced him to run and he's powering this anti this antimatter cannon that's generating the wave. And they're able to get him off. And he's like, I appreciate the reprieve, but I gotta go back on. Because if I don't, anti-monitor has a fail-safe where everything will be destroyed all at once. And I'm saying to myself, but that's the goal. That's just like a more efficient way of achieving what you wanted to do all along. So huh. it's I don't know. It's <laughs> It's like... If you're the anti-monitor and you have the means to just wipe out everything all at once, what what <laughs> like what is the purpose of of sort of slowing it down? Or maybe he's amassing more power as the wave slowly goes mm. universe by universe. It was just one of those things where he's like, if I don't run, like everything will be destroyed. I'm like, well, if you're the anti-monitor, that that sounds pretty good. Fair enough. I mean, there are much worse plot holes later. In the other episodes, but I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that because I was like, I was so preoccupied with like, or so caught up in the, the moment of like, oh, they they did the 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 antimatter cannon from the comics and they they adapted it and that's this is how you adapt stuff, right? Uh, but no, that's valid point. Uh, and then by that point, Earth One was the only one left, right? Yeah, I think we were we were qu- just about the at waves that point. coming in, and then and then and then Flash Johnny saves the universe, and it's great. And then ten minutes later, it's like, oh, never mind. Which yes. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Lila shows up on the Wave Rider and is under the thrall of the Anti-Monitor. And the, Lila, the man, talk about the long game. Like, th- this this actress, good on her. She played Diggle's ex-girlfriend in the government in Arrow Season 1, and now it's like, you're the Harbinger. 
like what a, what a long game that was for sure i the in looking at this as an adaptation uh and, and you, you brought this up earlier for people who are familiar with the comics i i do feel like this is true in an this is true to the comic in an important respect where there are various starts and stops in the comic it's it's 12 issues it's not right. just like oh man we hit the ground running and it just never lets up there are numerous points where uh, a select number of worlds are saved but they're sort of for lack of a better term like melding with each other and so you have all of these characters from different worlds and times popping in and out uh, then they're able to achieve you know some level of stasis uh, there's another point later on which the arrowverse did not get into which Maybe they should have, but I don't think they would have had the, the budget for this. But later on in Crisis, where the villains of the DC universe unite and take the opportunity to try to mount an assault and take over. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's that whole chapter of the story. Um, so I feel like in terms of the rhythm of these five episodes, for the most part, I liked it except for one specific episode. But because we really... We really do hit the ground running. That Supergirl episode that kicks everything off, that shows the beginning of this antimatter wave and Supergirl's Earth and universe destroyed and, uh, you know, getting as many billions of people as they can onto these spaceships and transporting them to the Earth-1 universe. Uh, it really doesn't let up. It's, it's very intense, very action-packed. And then as we segue into part two, we have the search for the Paragons. So things slow down a little bit, but there's the intrigue of where are we going? Who are we going to see? That gives us the Brandon Routh Superman. It gives us the Tom Welling Clark. So the Kevin Conroy Batman. So a little slower, but there's a lot going on and very intriguing. And then we get to, in part three, what I would say is the high point of this and the John Wesley ship sacrifice and the loss of the remaining earth and the retreat of our surviving cast members <laughs> to the vanishing point. And then part four, that's where I feel like this mm. kind of, I don't want to say falls apart, but th that's where I feel like this stumbles the most. W w how did you feel in terms of the flow of this? A hundred percent. And even in the, even in the, the way it was plotted out. Now, had this been, I don't know, I assume they shot this all together. Like, I don't think there was a break after three and then they shot four and five. I do not know. But in, you know, in, in the, in our world, <laughs> there was several weeks Right. It was the end of 2019. And then a few weeks later, they come back with part four and five. Had this been a whole week? Because I think that was what we were all thinking. Oh, man, it's going to be Christ on Infinite Earth week on the CW. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's going to be awesome. Because if the other crossovers had been three nights in a row, four nights in a row. But you go on this break and you're like, wow. Like, uh, I don't maybe we maybe we built it up in our heads. Maybe I don't know. But the momentum and the excitement had worn off by that point because we had seen Tom Welling. We had seen Kevin Carney, all these people they had promised us. We had seen. I'm like, wow, what, what what's left? And unfortunately, I, there wasn't much left. There, that was the problem. And help me understand. This is a, like I said, this is probably a third time I've watched this episode. What is going on in part four? I don't like so like they all. Barry, it's and by the way, Grant Gustin to me is the MVP of this, like acting wise. Like yes. he, that guy, he is just doing, just carrying this thing. Um, side even note, though it was more Oliver Queen's thing, but yeah, no. Side note, uh, my wife and I are going to see him on Broadway in Water for oh, Elephants uh, very shortly. Uh, so very excited. Yeah, he's he always brings it, uh, and I, I I'm with you on that totally. But please go ahead. Oh no, because I'm just thinking like when he's like when they're in the vanishing point, he shows up like oh where where was I? And like he's so like I don't know he he is he is bringing something like he goes through the gauntlet of emotions of this whole crossover. 
But like he he can't access the speed force. But then Oliver Queen Spectre shows up and like we're all going in the speed force. And then they all get allegedly get attacked by the NC monitor and they get spread across the speed force into other memories. And it, it, and, hey, and then we go letterbox because it's different now. I'm like, oh, OK. And at the time I was like, oh, I know why this is letterbox because going to use this scene in the Flash movie because Ezra Miller and Greg Gus are going to meet when he's running through the multiverse. Cool. Great. Can't wait for that in a couple of years. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> uh listen, I but, forever maintain that that Andy Muschietti, director of the Flash movie, has never seen a single CW show and and might not even really know what it is. I I, I that's I that's my working theory. But anyway. Shelly doesn't know who Grant Gustin is, I'll tell you that. But uh, uh so they're wasting this time, like they go back into other scenes and they've reshot some parts of it and they haven't. And I'm like, what are you what are we doing here? Like it's just, it's just a waste of time. Then they go back to the, like the the Marnovu, the the monitor. Like okay, that part was intriguing to me. And they go back to his thing when he wants to. In the comic, you can't see the beginning of time. They kind of tie that in here. I'm like okay, that that stuff is interesting. But like I don't know, like a good thirty percent of this episode is like I don't understand why they did this weird side quest of like all the characters in different scenes together. And I and I thought okay, I'm gonna watch it now. Like like you know, I'm watch these all together. Maybe it'll all make more sense. I still don't understand what was going on or why they chose to to spend almost a whole episode on that, Anthony. I wish I had an answer, but I I was going to ask you because I was watching it. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is going on here? It was it was a baffling choice for for an installment of this that picks up as many weeks later as it did in the real world, where you'd had this long break. I think. Oh, this, and they they'd been the vanishing point for months, by the way, in universe. Yes, that's right. Because Ryan Troy has a little beard and no one else had any kind of, like, he was the only guy who time passed for, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, you know, so at the end of chapter three, we have our, our paragons transported to uh, the vanishing point. Pariah is able to achieve that before Earth-1 is completely annihilated. And then when they arrive, like we said, we have Lex replacing the Brandon Routh Superman, which I do agree with you. I feel like it's, you, you need that. You need that source of tension, but I just wish he could have replaced someone else, even though I agree with you. It makes the most sense that yeah, he would replace I thought, Superman. I thought the same thing. I was like, would he replace Supergirl? I don't know. He would replace Superman. Like, that's what he would do. So, exactly. Man, it just, oh, man, I just miss Brandon Routh. So. But so then in that chapter four, yes, there's this idea. Oliver, as a specter, showed, which we'll circle back to, shows up. And there's this plan to use the speed force to transport Supergirl and Ryan and Lex to Maltus in the past so that they can try to prevent Marnovu from going back to the dawn of time, which unleashed the antimatter universe and gave birth to the antimatter. Now, on a positive note, this, I think, was an instance of taking the comic and actually making it more compelling because in the comic, you get this backstory about Krona on Oa, who was trying to discover the origins of the universe and he inadvertently creates the multiverse and, and all of that. I think making it the monitor tracks a lot better and actually Much cleaner. puts a yeah. little bit more meat on the bone for this character here. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm glad they went the route that they did. So that I thought was a nice touch. Uh, so you have that trio landing on this alien planet in the past. And then the remaining ones, right, are attacked by the anti-monitor end up in the speed force. I think that, and this was the episode of Arrow, that was that was in this crossover. And I think mm. that the intention was to sort of give you a tour through key moments in Oliver's journey that pointed towards 
this larger world that he helped facilitate and these bonds that he forged. I think that was the intention, but I don't think he, that yeah. that I don't think that really came across. And I think they could have achieved that. And I think it, they could have done more of a kind of like a, a quieter interlude in this larger story. And it could have worked. But I just I I don't think that it did because yeah you see no. these moments that are recreated but nothing really seems to I don't know be like, that quite why, why is Kate Kane watching Ray Palmer confront Oliver Queen about being the Green Arrow I'm like what right like, she's least, looking at it nothing. and she's like stunned and it's like what does this mean to you this would mean nothing so but the, and then the memories are self aware so it's like oh look we got we got Katie Cassidy in here for for this scene where she sees Sarah dead I'm like what what like can we this is a Christ on for Earth. Can we have like Katie Cassidy some other role? Right. <laughs> so I feel like they were largely, honestly, buying time until they got to that that yeah, battle that's felt. that battle at the dawn of time. But they could have they could have done something more interesting. And I, I don't know why they landed exactly where they did. But yeah, it was kind of nebulous as far as what exactly the objective is. I do think that's what they were trying to achieve that tour through Oliver's journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I don't know, it just, just didn't work. And that's why I say, I don't think they, they had the bandwidth or the budget for this, but mm-hmm. this could have been a point you would have had to switch the order of some things. So you couldn't have had all the earths destroyed. Right. But if they had had the villain assault or something like that in, mm-hmm. in this part of the story or, or something like that, uh, if they had switched four and three, I don't know. But, um, that was one piece from the comics that I was like, oh, that would have been, if they could have done something like that on the show to have the, the villains, team up or something like that but uh yeah i don't know that that was the one that felt like really just kind of things grinded to a halt now you and i we've made our position on the flash movie (laughs) clear (laughs) but that was what going back to watching this the first time that was probably the most surprising part of this was Ezra Miller popping up because we had there was a lot that was announced there was a lot that was speculated on and and seeing other TV actors showing up here totally, you know, that made sense. But the idea that they would bring in Ezra Miller from the DC EU, uh, I just didn't think it was within the realm of possibility. So I was genuinely surprised uh, the first time around. Yeah, I would have been, but a friend texted us during, Oh, <laughs> we were watching that. <laughs> so Lance and I were watching this together and uh, I think we had recorded it and we're like, Oh, we'll watch it a little later. And then like, like oh thanks yeah, what the hell <laughs> like, that was uh we have never let him in, uh, hear the end of it good uh, <laughs> rightfully so because yeah. you're that but that's how they should have done all the cameos don't announce bert ward when he's gonna be walking like, i actually that was a cute cameo he's, he's big into his german shepherds like it makes that's why he has a dog there walking he's wearing the robin costume they they have like a, a 1960s looking world he's in i i appreciated that and um, so that's fine. Don't announce Ashley Scott, right? Just have her in there. Dina Meyer was a voiceover, you know, as as, as Oracle. That was nice, cool cameo, a voice cameo. Like, but then like, but then when you announce all these people months before, you're like, oh, well, they're going to be a, a huge part of it, right? But then you don't announce Ezra Miller, and he pops up in there, like, oh, okay, cool. Like that's that's a like you said, a very unexpected connection. And I and I truly did believe that we would see that scene from the other side of things. But he does mention Victor, so we can't have that. Yes. Maybe that's what threw a wrench in the works. <laughs> and he's got the, the suit. I'll tell you this, the, the, the Flash movie suit gives me all new appreciation for the, the 
uh, Zack Snyder Justice League Flash suit, which I was never the biggest fan of, honestly, but I'll take it all day, every day, over what we got in the Flash movie. But, uh, and also right next, look at Grant Gustin's suit. This is the perfect, well, until he gets the gold boots. Like, this is the last three seasons or so. They finally cracked it. Like, that's my my favorite suit. I'm biased. But the John Wesley ship costume, that's my favorite Flash suit. I know he's not supposed to be a big muscle guy, but hey, it came out after Batman 89, so give him a break. And then the end of the show, Grant Gustin costume was so good. And like, you know, they, they kind of touch each other's suits and like, oh, that's cool. And no, oh, but yours just looks safe. And like, it's a cute interaction. Obviously, it was last minute thing because they say nothing. Nothing affects anything. But it is really cool to see. And that's the kind of stuff you want to see in these big crossover things, right? Yeah. And the Grant Gustin flash asks a very valid question, though, of how is it even possible that you're here? Because at this point in time everything has been wiped out of existence other than vanishing point and the speed force, but we'll, 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 we'll go with it. Yes. He's in the speed force. He's maybe. just you in know, the, that's, yeah. Yeah. Speed force. You don't have to explain anything. You just say the speed force. <laughs> but to your point where you say, you know, it's probably a last minute thing. I think, I think that was the case with a lot of this. And going back to what you were saying earlier about how a Rosenbaum cameo didn't come to be, he would go on to tweet about this. Right, where he talked about how there was an offer. Nobody, there's no script. <laughs> exactly. So no money, no script. So he, he passed on it. But I think that I think this was designed with boxes or slots to be filled in, mm-hmm. and it could have gone any which way. And maybe due to just the budget, to scheduling, to not being sure about availability, I feel like that's probably a big part of the reason why you didn't see more built around these people, even though like we're saying, it would be really cool to have, to have more of them come together and play a larger role, to have some of them be paragons or whatnot. But I think just the way this thing was structured and just the production limitations, I think that's, that's why. And, and as you watch this, you see how easily you could have swapped in so-and-so for one of the ones that we had, and it really wouldn't have made a difference. You wouldn't have even necessarily noticed. So, well, that's one thing I'm, I'm, I think there should have been one paragon, should have been more than one paragon per Earth, right? Like, I think Kara, Supergirl, great. She's Earth 38's paragon. Check. Uh, Brendan Ralph, Earth 96. Check. Uh, if Kevin Conrad is not evil Batman, and he's, <laughs> you know, which, which I've kind of, I kind of, I'm, I'm two minds about that. We'll talk about Batman in, in, in a little bit, I guess, but like, check. Like, you know, like, it just, it just, you don't have, 70% of them be from Earth One. It makes it just across time and space, right? Um, I thought, by the way, I'll say it now since we're talking about it, I when he's giving that the monitor's giving that speech and Clark and Lois's baby keeps crying and interrupting him. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that was great. And of course that Mick would be the one <laughs> the one to calm <laughs> yeah. the child. The Yo, I also I I had totally forgotten that Wentworth Miller did the voice of the Wave Rider. That's great. It's yeah. a great way to incorporate him. Yeah. That was terrific. When Always to nice it. to meet a fan. Yeah, that was great. Like I totally, I had forgotten that. And I also, because so many of those cameos of Earth's being destroyed happen in part one, that when we get to, I think it is the start of part three. Is that when we get the Huntress cameo? But I, yes. had, I had forgotten. Like I just had forgot. I lost track of her. There were other Earths at all. And she showed up and I was like, yes. So I don't, I don't think my fandom of the Birds of Prey show reaches the level of our mutual friend, Matt Truix, but I, I was there for Birds of Prey, man. I watched all 13 and I, yeah. I, was I a fan? I guess I was. I'll always remember that, that tattoo song, all the things she said during the climactic battle in this, <laughs> in what would be the series finale. So yeah. 
I no, I have fond memories of that show. So that was a cool, well, cool appearance. We we have, you know, my Always One of the Flash podcast came out of our Always One of the Birds of Prey podcast. We also did my Patreon. That was like kind of a, a passion project for Matt. And then the Flash is a passion project for me. So him and I were both very pleased with uh, with the crisis and those things. Just, just like the, just the recognition that they existed. You know, I'm like, that's, that was a flash in the pan, drop in the bucket, like... 13 episodes like that was good that was supposed to come up with smallville i'm sure one day they would have crossed over if it was still on but it just got cut short and nobody remembers that show there, there's like I, I i was talking about this the other day about something else but like i wish there was like a you know one of these pluto tv channels they show like free whatever like uh all the, like themed channels i wish there was a channel for wb shows that were canceled in the 2000s i would watch that i want to watch jack and bobby jack and bobby oh, uh, <laughs> Yo, I mean, it it kills me that that show is not on DVD or streaming. Well, I have I have yeah. searched the multiverse myself for it, and I can't find. We, during the pandemic, um, we were watching it, and I found it on um, one of these websites where you can just like randomly, like illegally watch stuff, I guess. But then all the episodes weren't there, and I had to stop at some point. I'm like, there's just too many missing. But what a what a great what a, what a what a what a creative concept that show was, and uh. Yeah, give me that. Give me Tarzan. Give me all those shows on some streaming service, and put the put all them on Max, and I'll I'll, I'll give you a lifetime subscription. So I, I will I will co-sign that. And and when we get so I agree. I think part four of this is where a lot of it kind of breaks down. But we do get that, of course, the the powerful finish with Oliver's sacrifice. And as much as we've been talking about the Arrowverse, and we haven't talked a ton about about Oliver, but uh i just want to say the part five of this also feels true to the comic because that's very much how crisis ended where you have them all waking up on this new consolidated combined earth and trying to sort out what's going on and then having that that final battle so so that felt appropriate it really was that fourth part and looking at just sort of the overall flow and rhythm of this that part four was the one where i just wish we had maybe gotten a kind of another another crack at that one but Right. I agree. I, I I will say, like you kill off Oliver Queen Granero in the first part, like wow stakes, right? And then you spend the next two episodes trying to resurrect him. Then he does come back, and then he dies again. I'm like, oh okay. So like, to me, that felt a little repetitive. Like yep. I know they had to turn him into Spectre, and like he's got a green hood. I guess that kind of makes sense if we're going to combine characters like this. Uh, All right. Here's the thing about Oliver as the Spectre. I I feel like my initial reaction when I was watching this was kind of like, what? But I've I've softened on that because, uh, you know, in the in the comics, famously, Hal Jordan has a tenure as the Spectre after he has his villainous turn as Parallax. But before it's revealed that Parallax was this fear entity that had uh, manipulated him. So this was part of his redemption journey. And between recently revisiting that Hal story and then looking at this, I kind of like the idea of the Spectre being someone we know as opposed to Jim Corrigan, cop. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 again, I, I don't have much skin in the game when it comes to the Spectre, so maybe some diehard Spectre fans will feel otherwise, and I, that's fine. But I, I do, I don't know, I, I've come around more to the idea of it being someone who has a personal connection to the DC characters. Cause I think during that period of time in, in, in DC comics, when Hal was a specter, that was the aspect of it that I, th- I think was particularly interesting when he would show up and interact with Kyle Rayner or with the rest of the JLA and, or Ollie. And that was like an identity crisis. He was a specter, right? Exactly. One of my favorite yeah. moments where Ollie's like, when are you coming back? 
And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, working on it. So, <laughs> so I kind of, so I do like that. I've really kind of gravitated more to this idea. And Spectre does play a key role uh, in Crisis. So the idea of using Spectre, um, but making it Oliver, I, it, it tracks me. But I am with you. Uh, he dies too many times in this. And, we spend, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, and to the you. point where when you get to that, that final death at the end of part four and kudos, you know, Grant Gustin and Katie Lotz, I mean, they brought, and, and Stephen Amell as well. It's an, an emotional scene, but it just didn't mean as much because how many times are we going to watch this guy die? Exactly. Exactly. Like there's, you talk about, talk about stakes and like characters dying and stuff. Like it's like just immediately resurrecting him. Basically. It's like, can we just give it a little time, please? You know? Um, and come on, you have failed this universe. That is dumb. <laughs> it's dumb. I don't like it. I've rolled my eyes. I mean, I get. Just, I am I wrong here? Am I no, off base? I, I know. I I feel like it was inevitable, but I I agree. It's it's uh it, it's a bit cringeworthy. Well, I'll, I'll say this: like for for whatever Oliver Queen criticisms I have and Arrow stuff I have for the Crisis, I watched season. I did come back and watch season eight of Arrow as this is going on because I yes, thought yes. like because it was kind of a culmination of all this, and I love the Arrow series finale and i think they did the everybody justice because you know mia just disappears by the way she's gone like that's what i'm talking about like at the very beginning i was like this whole together narratively i don't know because so many characters are like you're like the, the monitor gone just okay i guess he i guess his past worked out oh no the multiverse one of them did it anyway i'm like oh, oh okay ryan Choi, what okay gone good i don't care about you why are you here these are things that stick out of like oh you were trying to do something here and it did not like like uh, Green Arrow and the Canaries. I thought they were going to have that show. He's like, you know, Mia, I think you're going to have your own stories. I'm like, mm, didn't age too well, did it? Um, so it's just that stuff sticks out because we know what they were like trying to tease. That's that's my thing, right? I just felt like, and I think Mia had a role here, obviously, she's an Arrow season eight and all that. But guys like Ryan Troy, I'm like, y'all, you have way too many characters to be introducing more characters that we don't need. Uh, no offense to Ryan Troy. I'm just saying like, we already have the Adam, like Brandon Ralph is, is Ray Palmer. Like we have other universes to deal with. We don't need to be setting up other things. And that's something that's the microcosm of the universe as well. The shows start to suffer when they set up everything else. Like arrow season four sets up so much of these other shows and it's like the worst season of arrow. So it's like, it, it, it compromises what it's doing to take time to set up other things. And I think, I think that Ryan Troy is a number one, um, the first thing I think of, and I think, why are you wasting so much time? I don't care about this guy and his family. Sorry, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, that's the, I know it's, it's a bit much, especially that late in the game. That's the other thing. I think that late in the game, had he been in part one or something like that, but all and he's of- a paragon. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's, I know it, it is a bit much. I, uh, but, I, I would be more forgiving of him if he wasn't like kicking and punching shadow demons and they're disappearing. I'm like, what are the what are the rules here of these minions? Are they, they're, they're Power Ranger putties, basically. Yeah. That's all they are. And like, I can't, I'd like, I'm not, th- these guys killed Oliver Queen, but this guy can just hold his own. I don't buy it. Well, you know, Zach, they were all working together and Oliver was uh, the last one there. He was alone. He didn't have Dig to watch his back. So That's I, right. I guess that was, <laughs> I know. Uh, as a side note, you, know, you referenced the failed backdoor pilot for Green Arrow and the Canaries. Mm. It irks me to this day that it's the only episode that Stephen Amell doesn't appear in, in all of Arrow. And I just mm. feel like you could have, you could have thrown in anything just like a quick little, I, it'd be like if, if there were an episode of Smallville that Tom Welling weren't in, it's like, I, I don't wow. know. 
It bothers me. oddity. That's my running joke with my friends is like, what happened to William? Yeah. We're I, never going to know. <laughs> I'll never know. <laughs> never know. I don't fault. Look, I don't fault him for that. My Honestly, my number one frustration, probably my only frustration about the concept of the Green Arrow and the Carries is because they were going to do that show, they did not resurrect Earth One Laurel. And they kind of like hand wave it in the Arrow series finale when Captain Lance is like, well, you know, maybe you guys are the same. It's, it's like, no, no. When you're going to reset the universe, you need to reset. You saved Tommy, but you didn't save Laurel? Come on. I know. Like, and, and the only reason, and, I, and the, I, this is not conjecture that the, the creators have said this. Like, oh, well, we would have resurrected her, but we had to do that spinoff show. Well, you didn't do that spinoff show. So now we're never going to find William and Earth One Laurel's dead forever. But anyway, all that to say. Yeah. Arrow season, Arrow series finale is great. So. It is. No, I, I'm a fan. I will say, though, speaking of Oliver's final sacrifice here, the, the one that sticks, my reading of his death after the battle with Anti-Monitor was that he was, he was done. He was done done. And then we get the Arrow series finale and he has his afterlife reunion with Felicity. But then we get to the final season of Flash and the only episode that I watched of that final season is the one where Stephen Amell returns. And I was I was like, did I miss something or did I misunderstand something? Because in that episode, he is serving this specter function. And I don't know, I just, I did not think after Crisis he was still in play. I'm just going to say you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. That's what I'm sure. <laughs> Somewhere in the time stream, you know, he has to, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think we saw his final eternity happily ever after. He got the, well, the original Chrysler Infinite Earth 2 Superman ending with Lois, with Felicity, and, you know, in their paradise there. Um, but in between those years, because Felicity's older then, right? I mean, it's like a, so yeah. this is before then, like in the flat. I'm glad he came back. He got a goodbye with Diggle, you know goodbye with Barry. Like that could have been your universe ender of him just saying, you're a good man, Barry. You save people in a flash and he disappears. I'm like, all right, it's good stuff. Um, no, I agree with you. I thought he was like gone. Cause that's the thing. They're all mourning him. They have a funeral and in the series finale, even here, they're all crying, you know, I'm like, well, he's not really dead. So what do we, that's, that's a sticking point to me. Like the, the lack of stakes of his death throughout this whole thing. I, I agree. So one thing that I've thought about, and I'm, I'm sure you have as well, I, I'm curious for people who who don't know the comics or, or other tellings of these stories, if you really just came up with Smallville and or the Arrowverse, your your view of Oliver Queen's importance is is probably much different than than general fans. You think it's Superman, Batman, and Green Arrow. You think it's the Trinity, all right? Yeah, it's like you would think that you know Oliver Queen is a key component of Superman's origin story, you know, looking at Smallville, <laughs> and then looking at, and it's called the Arrowverse. And so that's why, it, it, this is one of the things, watching the Crisis television adaptation, obviously Oliver's role, the loss of Oliver, the ultimate sacrifice he makes, so much of it revolves around him, what he does, and just the idea and the memory of him. And for me, of course, yeah, I would prefer a more super-centric telling of this story, but it's the Arrowverse, and in terms of what they set up in this context, I can't fault them for it. But yeah, I do wonder sometimes what what other people's view is, if this is really their primary exposure to these characters. You, I would have to view it very differently. No, no, I agree. But I, I do think talking about slowing down and having human moments, you know, I, I think one of the best scenes is when uh, 
Barry and Sarah are in, sitting in the park. She's talking about that tree and Oliver's the, the last guy who knew me who, who when I was just me. I was like, that's some good stuff because, yeah, it all started with the two of them on that boat, you know? And I like how her and Barry were there at the end at the, you know, to say goodbye to him. Uh, that was very appropriate, you know? Uh, so they did key into those, those things with, with him and making his start. Because I mean, let's, let's be real. Like Stephen Amell wanted to leave. So like, well, I guess we'll wrap this whole thing up. We'll, we'll move. It's appropriate. We're recording this in 2024, Anthony, because this is when the crisis was supposed to happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the crisis on infant nurse, you know, a flash story, a Superman story, it becomes a, you know, a green arrow story to a, to a point. Uh, I do like, I mean, he had to become something else, the Spectre. See, well, I like that. That works. You have failed this universe, not so much, but you had to become something else. That works. So, yeah, see, it's it's like small with the Superman references. Like, it's, I don't know what the rules are, but some of them I like, some of them I don't. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and Round Reel in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Take it from an alum of two of them. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. With more than 40 years and a new second location to its name, Acme is a multiple-time Eisner Award nominee. The shop features a significant contemporary and vintage selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Hop in the Supermobile and join us for the spinoff podcast Beyond Metropolis, available exclusively for members of my Patreon community. It's a monthly tour across the DC universe, with the signature Digging for Kryptonite style applied to your other DC favorites. Additional Patreon rewards include advanced listens, sponsorships, and more. We offer regular monthly memberships, discounted annual plans, free trials, and a la carte purchases. Visit patreon.com slash anthonydesiato or click the link in the show notes for more. Thank you all. All right. Speaking of Smallville, we made the people Let's wait long enough. Let's and do I it. Know we've each talked about this already, but I guess what what is your take on where we find the Clark Kent of Smallville? And has your view changed since you first watched it? So I, I remember when the, the first images came out, Tom Welling, and he's wearing the gloves. And some are like, well, he gave up his powers. So I was like, he didn't give up his powers. Look, and then I had to go find pictures of him as Clark wearing gloves on Smallville. Because <laughs> I know promo pictures of Smallville way too well. <laughs> so I'm like, here they are. He he wore gloves and he had powers, right? So I didn't I didn't know. I I I was I'm been on record saying like if he doesn't wear the costume, there's a big waste. Don't even come back. Um but you know what? They found a way. They found a sweet spot for me because this, this, these two scenes, you know, are, you know, scene cut in half by a commercial break felt like the Smallville I know. And that felt like the Clark I know. And, and, and the more we've, we've come to see Tom Welling and his attitude towards everything, the more I love it even more. Cause he is this character. He is this, he's like, certainly haven't missed these chats. 
just doesn't he just doesn't care about being Superman. I love it. He lives on a farm. He's got a wife and kids. Like that's all. Like that's his that's his goal in life. So it he it's very meta. He's kind of become the character, and I don't mind because this is an Elseworlds. This is look. There's how many other Supermen are out there doing their thing. So like we did not ruin the Superman story by doing this. Now, key to me was talk about people who don't know anything about comics. Like I'm like I know the whatever happened to Man of Tomorrow. This is that ending for him. So that it's okay to me. But that's just me, right? And, and the, because it, it, they presented it so well, like with, with Lex showing up and the back and forth, it's like, not the Lex you know. I was like, okay, you, you sold me. Good, good. Like, I was like, I was so like, you're not Mike, you're not Lex. Like, we're, he's, we, we think that. But then it's so, it works so well. Um, and if you do the timeline, how many times have I had to talk to people about this? But like, if you do the timeline, he becomes Superman in 2011. Okay. Lex Luthor gets elected president in 2018 for some reason, because on Earth-167, the election cycle is a little off. He has some ultimate battle, and he defeats Lex. His ultimate opponent, as Dr. Fate told him, in absolute justice. And he's like, well, I'm going to I'm gonna give up my powers. I'm going to retire to the farm, have a couple girls. And it's, you know, so he was Superman for about nine years or so. And then he retired. I'm like, you know what? That's fine. Because how long have, in live action, how long are any of these characters, these heroes? Now, you know, I always joke about Christian Bale was Batman for like a year and a half. Right. John Wesley Ship was the Flash for like 30 years, though. So <laughs> fair play to you, sir. Um, Brandon Routh was flying around being Superman for a while. He is some version of that. We'll talk about that. But I don't mind this. I This is the Clark I knew from Smallville. It is. And I felt like had we seen him at his desk with his glasses at the Daily Planet, I would have been like, I mean, I guess that's where he's supposed to be, but that doesn't really feel like the show I watch. So it's not, it's, 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 it's more about the show than it is about the, the Superman story at this point. And that is what he was wearing his flannel on his farm. Um, now Lois had some weird dialogue. You made a funny. I'm like, what is that? Like, that's like my only criticism of this scene, frankly. I'm like, what do you, what do you, <laughs> who wrote that? You know, that's, <laughs> Carolyn Drys, apparently Batwoman is like, we just wrote this. A writer on Smallville has a great grasp of the characters. You can see it between the Clark and her, but I'm like, did you not write Lois episodes? <laughs> because she doesn't talk that way. That literally is my one criticism. So that's how I feel about it. I don't feel like it's a betrayal of the character. I feel like, you know, he did his time as Superman. And, uh, and as we all know, if he ever needs his powers back, he can always get them back. But let's be real. Tom Welling has said himself, he wasn't going to come back in a Superman costume. So this is the way you get him. And they found the way to do it. And I still love it. And to me, it's a much better satisfying button on the Smallville story than that series finale, Anthony. Hot take? Ooh. I'll have to ponder that. But overall... I think about that. Overall, I know I appreciate your insight into the scene. And I, I wish I had been as receptive to it from the outset. I would have had a more fun with this because I really... I did a whole episode called How the, How the Arrowverse Failed the Clark Kent of Smallville. I was really... That, that was one of my first episodes I listened to. I'm like, what's this guy all about? <laughs> the, my, my, and I won't rehash that whole episode, but I just felt that by the time we got to the end of Smallville, he had reconciled the two parts of himself and he was no longer the character we had followed for so long who just longed for that normal life on the farm. He had gotten past that. And so to see him back in that mode felt off to me. But, like a regression almost, huh? Yeah, it felt like it undermined the the journey and the conclusion to the journey that that he had reached. But 
I think what really sort of turned this for me was when I did my episode on Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, which has long been one of my all-time favorite Superman stories. And even as I was watching this for the first time, I certainly recognized, oh, they're pulling from this Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow where he lives a normal human life and has a family. Uh, and I guess what I realized in the course of revisiting that story and talking about it is we've seen various endings for the character of Superman and, and we can ponder various endings. And in the realm of possibilities where he outlives Lois just through natural causes or Lois dies or in the DC 1 million version of the story from Grant Morrison where he spends you know countless years searching the stars and then setting up shop in the sun and then ultimately being reunited with Lois, but after so many years, none of that really felt quite right to me or what I would want for this character I love so much. I think ultimately where my heart is, is that whatever happened to the man at tomorrow ending where he gets to live that life and live, you know, live, live as, live as a human. And so that really helped me make my peace with it. And to your point, I think, I think the intention with the scene was to show us a presentation of Clark and Smallville that was in keeping with the series as a whole, not yes. with the series finale, which that's what I kept bumping up against. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I think this really captured the feel. He's on the farm, like you said, the flannel and the can't say I've missed those chats. Great moment when he catches Lex's punch and clocks Lex goes, huh, still stronger. Like, still stronger. Great. Like it's so good. So I really came around on it. I agree with you though. The exchange between Lois and Clark left a lot to be desired. The thing that bothers me the most though is like these two have seen a lot over the course of the TV show and according to Mark Guggenheim, the season 11 comics are in continuity as well. So eh. the fa <laughs> I mean, he says they are, I don't know, but they're so dismissive of what they've just right. seen and this threat that they've been warned about. And I, I get, maybe you could chalk it up to like, hey, there's really nothing he can do about it anyway, but it just felt like they were too cavalier about what they were just <laughs> warned about. Like, I love the, looks looks like a job for us and they hold hands and they go off to raise their family. Like that's A plus, but like right before that, it's like, it's in a different, in a different reality, a different multiverse where Tom Willing would wear a suit or hat and would again, he's like, so Lex Luthor from Mother Earth. She's like, well, you got you know what you have to do. And then he goes and flies and does something, right? But that was never going to happen. So I have to accept it. Uh, but you're right. It's like, I don't know, man, maybe you should look into that. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think if there had just been any kind of concern or something like anything, it was just like, all right, guys. Well, it just laughs it off. Yeah. Now, all that, all that being said, uh, and I know there was no, there was no scenario where Welling was going to don the costume, but- you and I, we've talked on on Mike and on Mike about our frustrations with the ending of Smallville, the fact that he never physically puts on the costume. And, I, you know, I can't just, I can't help but imagine a scenario where he did wear the costume, even if it was just for a few seconds, and how that would provide a bit of closure to this yep. <laughs> aspect those of the series finale that has haunted us for all these years. I, I feel like, and he said it now a few times, I'm like, if he did this now, he actually might do it. But it's easy for him to say now because he knows he's never going to have to. Yeah. So I keep that in mind too. I, I don't, I don't know because I've talked about this. You know, Craig Byrne, you know, from Krypton site, we talked about. It. He's like, well, it would have been kind of cheap for him not to wear it on Smallville and then to wear it on this. I'm like, yeah, that's a good point, I guess. But I would have taken it. 
Like, I, don't I get me wrong. Taken it. Yeah. I would have a thousand percent taken it. Now then he's got, cause I was, I remember there's some interview with, I guess, Guggenheim and he's like, yeah, the, all the Supermen are going to be together in this episode. I was like, Oh, all the Supermen you say, I guess they just meant the episode and not like in the same scene. Cause I wanted, I wanted Christ. I wanted infinite crisis covers of like 2006 internet of Brandon Ralph fighting Tom Welling and who's the better Superman. Like I wanted that. And we got that with Tyler Hicklin. We'll get there shortly, but, um, Poor Tyler. I'm glad. I'm glad Tyler got Superman Lois because he got a bad shake in this. You know, uh, he's just like, well, I guess you're Superman, so here you go. There's some stuff. Like nobody, nobody cares about you in this. <laughs> you know, I want to see Tom Welling. I want to see Brendan Ralph. I want to see Kevin Carner. I want to see these guys. Um, but yeah, it, it is what it is. And also, he says, uh, "I didn't know the president was in town." And people are like, "Oh, can Lax still be the president?" Look, he was the president, and he's not anymore. And that's our. That is a. That is dialogue to let you know that Lex was the president on this earth. Let's all move on from it. Let's not try to rip it apart. Like I have a fanboy explanation for this entire thing. So I can draw diagrams for you people. Like I understand why people be upset. Um, but what were we going to get? This is the best possible scenario, I think. And, and I enjoyed it and I'm happy that this is the button. Nice epilogue to my favorite show. Yeah, look, ultimately they gave my favorite version of Clark Kent, my favorite version of the Superman ending. So I, I can't I, I can't begrudge them that. I have been on the other side of it with the with the, the president being in town, that line, because <laughs> it's just the thing about it is I, I'm more okay with him giving up his power. Oh, let me also say too, one thing that I also do recognize, and this went a long way, is that this Clark giving up his powers. It's not just that he wants to be normal. They have children. So there's this whole other component too that wasn't present on the show all those years when he was like, I just want to yeah. be normal. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, my feeling was well, if Lex is still depressed, like how could you let that threat go and give up your powers? But yeah, we don't know the full circumstances and, and we don't know what's transpired between them and we could try to fill in a, a, a backstory that will make us okay with it. Well, your, your, your fan theory was like, oh, maybe they became friends again. Like, oh, okay. that's right. I forgot about that. You're, that was, that's my theory. You know what? You're right. That's my theory. And I'm going to stick with that. I forgot about that. Now talk about what ifs, if Rosenbaum had appeared, what, I mean, how do you think this would have fit in? I mean, cause presumably it would have just been a scene. Like, I don't think he would have, it would have been the John Cryer role. Like, you know, right. you know, or both of the John Cryer turns into Rosenbaum. Is it like a, like, uh, you know, in, in Justice League Unlimited, there's a, a two-parter called the Once and Future thing. It's a real cool time multiverse thing, and and time is changing, so characters shift. And then the, for a couple scenes, uh, Jon Stewart shifts into Hal Jordan. It's the only Hal Jordan we see in the DCAU. He's like, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern Corps, I'm up to speed. Let's continue. And it's like, oh, okay, that's cute. Could you do something? That would have felt weird, though. Like, I like that it's John Cryer. He's doing, he's jumping around, killing the Superman, and this works. Like, it would have felt out of place. Like, I don't know how you fit in Rosamond. I, I don't I don't know. I would love to see, like, whatever their initial, you know, brainstorming script was for this. Whatever. They, I guess I don't think I guess they didn't have one. That was part of they the problem. Like, huh? They were like, do you want to come? He's like, well, what am I going to do? Oh, we don't know. Yeah, I don't. Well, so there was a comic book. Do you read the comic book tie-in? I have read Christ on Infinite Earth's Paragon Rising, if that's your question. That's what yes. I'm talking about. I, I only just skimmed through, <laughs> but I know there they have the whole Council of Luthers. And, and He's not that. in that. It's a very disappointing comic book, frankly. I was... I was not I was not too hot on the comic, honestly. I thought it was gonna like fill in and expand, and it was not that at all. But hey, go read it for yourselves, y'all. 
Um, but they no, they're, they're, I was looking for a guy in a white suit and a black glove and that. No, you, you see some like Gene Hackman looking guys maybe, but you never see Rosenbaum. So. Yeah, I don't know. Or unless like Rosenbaum shows up and he helps Clark fight off John Cryer. That, I mean, oh, oh I would have loved that. When, when I think about, again, actors, availability, like if unlimited, when you're not constrained by real life stuff and you can do unlimited story, like. You know, the, the, the series finale of Smallville should be Lex and Clark fighting Darkseid together or something. Like, I was, that that would have made, it, that would have been fantastic. But you're only, you're looking for 24 hours. I'm not shaving my head. So that's, we got what we got. <laughs> so that's the, the Clark Kent of Smallville of it all. Mm-hmm. Brandon Routh in the best Superman costume? One of the best. <laughs> I, it, if it's not first, it's second. I mean, to me, the, the Christopher Reeve one is, it's, it's off the page. Yeah, like perfection. So it's it's hard to say that's not the first one, but but this is number two at worst. It was the Brandon Routh one, like the Kingdom Come, and then they changed the yellow for the last shot. Uh, so it's great. But uh, well, I wouldn't upgrade because I was never a fan of the Superman Returns costume. What about you, Anthony? No, I agree. I I'm not offended by it, but it was never one that really lit my fire. I think I had a lot of the same gripes with it that most people did with the darker colors and the small S and all of that. So no, I thought this was. I mean, to connect the the Christopher Reeve and Superman Returns iteration with Kingdom Come and to give Brandon Routh the opportunity to get another turn in the cape, uh, because for as many criticisms have been levied against Superman Returns, I think generally <laughs> he was well-received and clearly, not, not that this matters ultimately, but clearly this was going to be his big break and he was going to have this huge movie franchise and it all fell apart on him and he ended up having a really nice career and had a great turn as Ray Palmer super endearing and amusing but I don't know there's just that that personal component of just getting this guy getting the opportunity to step back into the costume in in, in a different version but to uh, do what he did with it I mean the moment where he's talking with Lois on the wave rider and she asks why he added the black and he talks about because even in the darkest times, hope cuts through. Hope is the light that lifts us out of darkness. It's could be a corny, cheesy line, but they're so earnest and heartfelt and and it resonates. I, my only complaint about Brandon Routh and Crisis is how little we got of him. Yeah. And I was all ready for him to be in parts four and five. Then he turned to John Cryer. So I'm like, oh, no. Um, I, I, we got a little hint of Clark Kent, right? He's He has uh, evolved from... Before he's the editor now, much like yeah. Earth Two Superman was the editor in Christ Universe. This is a this Superman is a melting pot of Christopher Reeve. They one through four because he's like you know it's not the first time I've gone nuts and fought myself. Check Superman three, thank you. You look like my son Jason. Superman Returns, check. Kingdom Come Origin, uh, reject from, Joker from Gotham. Yep, yeah, we can't say Joker because of <laughs> WB rules. Bizarre, but uh, gassing the Daily Planet, killing everybody. Uh, King Come check, and then of course uh, he's. Basically, the Earth 2 Superman from Crisis here, which I was hoping he would come back and, like, sacrifice himself or something. But he got a happy inning, so I'm glad we got that. Um, but, no, he's fantastic. And, to, oh man, he's he's probably my third favorite Superman. Um, I know that's a smaller sample size, but 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 what he was able to bring to it, like, I mean, his secret identity stuff. See, I know you're not too hot on the, the Christopher Reeve, Clark Kent of it all. So, Brandon Routh is that, but, like, turned back a few notches which is a little more like, oh my gosh, like all the time. Like he's just a little more of a quieter, quirkier guy than like a complete bumbling person, um, which fits to to not 
bring attention to yourself. So we got a little bit of that in here, just a little hint of it, but it was great. Um, but man, like <laughs> they did Tyler Hecklin no favors because he shows up in this, you know, TV budget costume and he's like, you know, three inches shorter than Brandon Routh and he's just throwing him around. I'm like, yeah, I'm rooting for Brandon Routh in this situation. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, this is why I was so, uh, you know, mixed on, uh, on the Superman and Lois TV show. I really didn't have high hopes because of what we had seen so far in the Arrowverse. And I you know, ended up loving the show and I'm, yeah. I'm very, I was so pleasantly surprised, but yeah, they did him dirty in this. And, and it, and <laughs> even before that, man, even going back to part one after, you know, we meet up with, with Lois and Clark, Clark, they're on Argo. They've had their son, Jonathan. And then of course, Argo is destroyed. They send Jonathan off in the rocket, a la Clark's own origin story. They're seemingly destroyed along with Alora and the rest of Argo. But then of course we find out they were saved at the last second by Harbinger and they're brought to earth 38. And there's that moment that an exchange between uh, Clark and Kara where he's really, you know, he's, you know, has lost hope and she, you know, gives him the pep talk. It's like, all right. And then later on when they're defending the quantum tower and they have to use their heat vision to power it up and, you know, he taps out before she does. And then even when they land, it's like, oh, you have to show me up as always. And it's just like, I get that mm. it's the Supergirl show. Like, I get it. But I, I just, it, I don't like the position that it puts Superman in because he is, he, he is in a supporting capacity. Like, I get it, but I don't, I don't like that position it relegates him to. And then that's only compounded when we get into the, like the battle with Brandon Routh. No, I, I agree. And that's that, that's that's the the struggle the Supergirl show had. And I think his first two episodes are fantastic when he shows up. But then after that, it's always like, you know, you're stronger than me, Kara. And how do you stay so hopeful? I'm like, ah, and but I get it because it's her show, but it's 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 to, I, it's a lose-lose for them, right? Because if they have Superman show up and like do everything she can do, but better, it's like, what do you what are you trying to say here? This is her show when he comes in. Exactly. That. But then you're like, you can't have him be like, man, Kara, I wish I was as strong as you. I'm like, ah. But again, like Man, like light and day difference between the Superman here and then the one we get on Superman Lois. Like it's 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 a fantastic difference. And then yeah, and then he's fighting Brandon Routh. And hey, Zack Snyder is the blueprint, right? Because what a Man of Steel looking fight those two guys had, Superman. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And the skies above Metropolis and all that. And I, the other thing too that I, I really like about this, I, I you know that line about this isn't the first time I went crazy and fought myself. It's just. Tying all of this together, because even when we talk about Superman Returns, there's all this business about how it was really following Superman 2 and it was ignoring 3 and 4 and mm -hmm. whatever. So this ties so much together. And what I like, too, is that I, I'm a fan of Kingdom Come. And look, Clark's journey in that story is that the man of action stopped acting and he had to get back in action by the time the story ends. So I, I, I appreciate that. But what I do like here is that despite enduring more loss than a mortal man could bear as, as the line goes that he kept going he kept fighting and and whether in part or in whole because the fact that he has his son here which is another component we don't see jason but he is referenced straight out of superman returns but this idea that he suffers the same loss as the kingdom come superman in the comics but he doesn't just retreat and withdraw from society for for a decade or more that he stays and keeps fighting so it you know it just tied together so much and just getting to see him uh in the costume again and 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 with you know with a different spin on it man it was 
as my, I was so fo- I was so laser focused on the Tom Welling of it all mm-hmm. that you know we saw the the photos that they released of him in the Kingdom Come costume. I was excited, but I was still just all about the Smallville piece of it. And then the Brandon Routh part ended up being uh, like a true highlight. Yeah, no, definitely the, the Superman of it all. Uh, and they they use the Smallville building for the Daily Planet, so it is it's a melting pot. Like I don't see this as the ending for Christopher Reeve or even the Superman returns. Even it's just, it's a melting pot of like all those things happen to this particular one. And that's fine. And that's the fun of the multiverse. Like, cause, cause if you tell me like, I'm sure you'd be like, that didn't happen to Christopher Reeve. Like like people be upset. I'm like, okay, yeah, it didn't. That's a different variation. He has the same backstory as that character, but we've already established Superman returns. It's all weird things. So like, this is a perfect, I just, again, the melting pot of it all. Perfect. We all understand what's going on here. And I was, and more than anything else, I'm so happy for Brandon Routh to kind of get that second shot. And I know it meant a lot to him. He's talked about that. And, um, and you know, WB really missed the boat, like, doing anything else with him after this. You have this perfect Superman costume. You got a guy with the perfect age. He's he's excited about it. Like, I don't I don't know what it is. You make a project. You find a reason to put this man back in a Superman costume. And they and they haven't. And he could still do it. I mean, he's getting older, but he look, looks great still. And it could totally be Superman for the next few years. So, I doubt, unfortunately, I doubt we'll ever see him again, but it's a missed opportunity that we haven't. I Look, I mean, and I was going to ask you that. I was, I was like, it's insane to me. And we've talked about <laughs> Warner Brothers. And, Every decision they make is wrong. Thanks, and, Lance. <laughs> yeah, and their decision-making. So on the one hand, I guess I'm not surprised. It tracks with what we've seen from Warner Brothers, but it's just like, I don't understand how at the executive level, you could look at this and the response to it. Cause you know, and they track social media engagement and impressions. Like, I don't know how you look at this and, and just say, nah, I were good. That was it. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't They do that a lot, Anthony, as you know. I know. (laughs) Hope you guys enjoyed that. You're not getting any more. Um, Oh, while we're talking Superman, I have one more, maybe a nitpicky thing, but let me pose this hmm. question to you. So, with the Tyler Hecklin Superman. Mm. And of course, we know when we get to Superman and Lois, they're on their own earth, so that's separate. But yeah. you know, one of the changes that occurs for Lois and Clark in the post-crisis <laughs> Earth Prime is that where they once had one son, Jonathan, now they have two at the end of this, as Clark seemingly learns. That is a plot hole. Yeah, because as as we see in the show, the Paragons who were there at the dawn of time, they wake up on the New Earth and they have their memories of what things were like. So they are a bit confused. And then mm-hmm. everyone else, they only know this new timeline until Jean goes by and he does his, you know, yeah, mind, Manor does his thing, you know yeah. mind trick, right? And and then they, you know, they they put all the pieces together. But you know, Tyler Hecklin's Clark was not one of the Paragons at the dawn of time. So like he would have woken up that day with full knowledge of the current to him the boys timeline. What, what the hell was that that, that yeah that's them trying to let us know because i think on some i mean they're thinking about superman and lois at this point right on some level they're like oh we're going to use the crisis and, and now their show's going to come out of this right and instead of having one baby who becomes two babies maybe here they have two teenagers um which is fine it totally changes the lois and clark timeline which i cool with like that like they they met they got married they had some kids and they just you know it was all very fast right back then but good good for them and their backstory um that was a huge oversight like there could have been a better way to communicate that but again setups like they're trying to set up this potential new show and i think that's why i did that way but even when i was watching the first time i was like what he would know that (laughs) he would not be confused 
one more Superman question. You referenced mm -hmm. when we see Brandon Routh at the very end, when we get the Oliver Queen narration now about the birth of the new multiverse. Because we come out of crisis, we think everything's just on this one Earth. But no, no, like the multiverse was reborn and we see all these glimpses into... It's kind of a cop-out, right, Anthony? I mean, a little bit. That's a deviation from, from the comic. But of course, we would eventually get the multiverse restored, but it wasn't at that point. But, uh, you know, we see the Stargirl show on Earth 2 and we see some Green Lantern imagery on Earth-19, I think. and, and Earth-11 from 2011, I think that's... Oh, is that it? I, I, don't call me on that, but I think that's what it was. Gotcha. Yeah. And we see the Brandon Routh Superman doing the classic, you know, flying, uh, you know, ab above <laughs> the Earth. And once again, <laughs> we, get the, we get the notes of music and we get the yellow uh, in, in the crest. Now, is your interpretation that in this revised timeline on his new Earth that events didn't unfold the same way and he didn't suffer that catastrophic loss or they still did, but he's now just fully come through the other side and he's back to his classic costume. I have not considered that. I will take either answer. Either is acceptable. I, I don't know. I, I, he's clearly in a better place, right? Because, because the black S is something even from the comic books, uh, not, not even, even beyond kingdom come. It was from right, the our, Jeff Loeb run, right? Yeah. Our world's at war. He, he adopts that in mourning, uh, after, uh, all of the, the losses during that storyline. So, so uh -huh. yeah, there's other precedent for that as well. Right. So it could be that situation. I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. Um, but I'm glad we saw him. I, I wish that's the one thing I wish we could have added one more thing from Smallville. Like, can we get Tom and Erica like sitting out on a fence and maybe a couple of girls running around like just to know that my favorite show didn't get erased from existence? Yeah, he's um, like handing Michael Rosenbaum a beer. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> he has hair. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. That's see, that's the cop out of them. Like, and then there was another multiverse. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, the reason they did that is so you would know that all your favorite shows and movies didn't get erased from existence, which I get it. But the whole point of Crisis was to 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 have everything on one Earth. Here's a bold move. Reset the universe, and now Brandon Routh is your Superman. I'm 1,000% on board with that. Sorry, Tyler. But <laughs> I know. Um, I don't know. That would have been that would have been something. Because that's the that's the emotional hook of the end of part five. Or listen, I'm conflating the comics and the and the show now, but like the end where he shows up and he's like, oh. I'm the only one here from my earth. Where's, where's my wife? Where's my family? Oh my God. Like, and you, I, I remember reading it for some, like, Oh my God, this is, this is awful. Like he's, you know, like I was really like shook when I read, I read this in high school. I was like, Oh my God, what's going to happen. And then, you know, turns out he's got his own little paradise. Thank goodness. But well, um, so it seems. <laughs> oh yes. Until, <laughs> until infinite crisis. It was a prison. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God. That's why <laughs> side note, the end of arrow with, with Oliver and Felicity and their little paradise. I watched that. I'm like, this is a horror story. I've seen this. It's not as good as it seems <laughs> in 20 years from now. We'll, we'll get the, uh, we'll get the follow up to that. Uh, here. So, so a little more Superman talk, if I may, uh, the beginning, right. When they erase Argo city, I wasn't up to speed on Supergirl. I, I remember like they, he proposed to Lois and they, I guess they live there now to have a kid and all that stuff. Sure. Right. Um, here, here's a ballsy move. Um, uh, because in crisis, you know, you see Alexander Luther, uh, or, or, you know, Earth three hero Lex fight of the crime syndicate hero guy. And that Lois Lane have a kid and send him off. And they're, you know, that's that, like they're switching out elements and names and things. Um, what, just actually have them die. And they're like, Ooh, right. That would have been some stakes. We just erased, 
Superman Lois. And then it's not, and then it's okay though, because that's Earth 38. So there is, there's plenty of other Superman out there. Right. And of course it all, and again, it all gets reset again to the end. So it's like, it's been fine. Um, but that's a huge missed opportunity with like their son. I remember back in the day, people were like, wouldn't it be cool if they somehow like use some stock footage and that was the baby that showed up at the end of Lois and Clark. I'm like, that's brilliant. I don't know where I read that. Oh my uh, God. Right? I know. Cause I I've talked about this and I think I said this to you on one of one of our episodes, but like as, as far as missed opportunities with these cameos, that's that's the one thing I keep going back to, to Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher because it's like that's mm-hmm. that show cancel on a cliffhanger. So it's like if you had just get like just something to put a little something. button on that, you know, well, like as I, I, you know, as nice as it was to see Tom Welling, it's like that show wrapped. You know that they had their opportunity to 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 conclude everything. Um, so it's like it didn't need anything else i'm glad we look we love it we, we're glad we got it but mm-hmm. the the lois and clark of it all it's like man like there was some unfinished business there and i'm sure any number of reasons <laughs> why that didn't yeah. happen there, there were I'm, I'm sure there were factors at play i will just say i would have still put them in it in a minor role right just for a a couple of minutes you know something it's the legacy of the show and the character are more important than any of that other stuff in this context, in my opinion. I know yep. people might disagree, but I would I would have still put Dean and Terry in there, maybe with a with the baby, with the son. I don't know. But that's where I, I read that on the internet. I thought it was brilliant, that idea. But then to have him show up in some weird alternate feature with Oliver Queen, which did not match. I don't know if you saw that episode of Legends, by the way. Yes, I did. That's a great episode of Legends, uh, Star City 2046. And uh, shout out to Always on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. That's how I remember that's idle. So Matt and Trisha out there covering the show. That was an awesome episode. And it's like old man, Oliver Queen. It's kind of like Batman Beyonds, but it's also like Dark Knight Returns, Oliver Queen, because he's got one arm. Anyway, super old man makeup. I guess they didn't have the time or the budget for that this time, because it's like, uh, Steven, why don't you just don't go to sleep at all, and then we'll just <laughs> film you. That's how he looks. Um, and I felt really bad for that Oliver Queen, because apparently he had no team. He thought Sarah died on the Queen's Gambit. He's got nobody, like, and he just stumbles into having this baby. Like, I don't the, the, wedging in Oliver Queen somehow to everything like that. That's why that exists. And I feel like he could, and I, I guess on this roundabout way, I'm trying to say like, they could have done more with that Lois and Clark baby. They send off into who knows where, because then it just, it, it's funny. He's around, he's crying and Mick has to talk to him and drink beer. And, <laughs> but that there was something like there, obviously that becomes Alexander Luther of the crisis, who was this infinitely important character. No pun intended. Infinite crisis, but I don't. You know, you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh no, totally. I yeah. The the Star City 2046 detour felt half-assed to me. It's like it it. I, I agree with you. I think it was certainly to you know was done for that purpose of of working in Oliver and and having you know, or a different version of Oliver and having that moment with him and Sarah. But it just it was way too convenient that Oliver ended up with this kid and they found him so quick. I, I don't know. And it's just like they had, there was so much going on in that episode. It just felt like that was a weird, like a weird little detour that real estate could have maybe been utilized a little bit more effectively. I don't know that that scene achieved what they wanted it to. Yeah. And I felt like, Oh, they're doing it. So Sarah has a goodbye with Oliver. Okay. But then they have another goodbye in the fourth episode. So I'm like, you didn't need that at all. I don't, that just seems, that seemed odd. And, uh, I, you know, you know who I do like a lot actually is Brainiac Five. He's yeah, he's me kinda, too. He's kind of weird, but I I like that. Like, hey, this is an alien character. He would be weird because I'm sick of all these sci-fi shows where it's like, 
everybody has to talk like we do today or you can't relate to him. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like there's a reason why Spock on Star Trek is so memorable because he's like, he's different. He's on a different wavelength. And so this brainiac and I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of later Supergirl, so I haven't seen a lot of them, but what I have seen of him, I enjoy because he's got like a different energy to him. And I don't, I, I liked, I liked his limited appearances here. Me too. I would also like just as far as the, like I said, the rhythm of these five episodes is that, there's so much cross pollination among the the casts on on all of the shows to the point where the only way you really know what show you're watching, especially you know watching it on that disc that we did, where it's just like hour one, hour two, <laughs> is when you read you know you see the opening credits and you see who we're starting with. But what I did like was it wasn't it wasn't so heavy handed, but each episode there was something that was shining the spotlight on that show's protagonist or cast of characters. I mean, certainly the Supergirl episode that started it, and we start. Honor 38 and all of that and Lena having to, you know, work with um with Alex when they're really on the outs. But then in part two with Batwoman, the fact that uh, that's when we meet the Kevin Conroy, Bruce Wayne, you know, heavy bat focus. And then part three, the flash with the John Wesley ship sacrifice, and part four, Arrow, even though it didn't work for us, <laughs> the fact that we're in the speed force reliving Oliver's memories. <laughs> it's like, there was this attempt, uh, and it was part, part five of Legends of Bebo. Bebo, yeah. So I thought they are, did a nice are job. Are all the crossovers that. like this? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, should we talk well, about Kevin Conroy? Let's talk about Kevin Conroy. This, oh, man, I I don't know. Like, th- is this my favorite part? I don't know. I think the John Wesley ship and the Flash ship all is. But Kevin Conroy, the, the definitive Batman. He's been the voice of Batman for for 25 years, and um, he's finally going to get to play at least Bruce Wayne in live action, right? And the way they introduce him is so brilliant because you you, you go into Wayne Manor and, and Luke Fox is there, whatever, right? Because he's a, he's a Batwoman character, so he's the guy there with Wayne. Fine, great. And then you hear this voice like, "Don't be so rude, Luke." And he's, he's like, "Oh my god!" Like the, the reveal of the voice first. And then him coming down the stairs, like that is cinema. That is amazing. And and just to, to hear his voice and to see him delivering the because Kevin Conroy, he 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 didn't sound like that. You know, he put on a little bit of a voice, you know. And to see that was like as someone who watched Batman the Animated Series since I was a little kid, like that was amazing. Like, and 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 he has a decent role in the episode. Like, we talk so much about Tom Welling. We love it, it's great, but it's like a scene and a half. And it's it's inconsequential, really. Uh, this this is Kate Kane meeting Bruce Wayne, you know, for the first time since she's been Batwoman, and, they, they, and like it shows you Batman going too far. It's a cautionary tale. Um, yes, would I have preferred in a perfect world to see old man Bruce and Terry McGinnis? Yes, and I I still hold out for that one day in live action. I, again, what are you doing, WB, by not giving us that? But. Um, but to me, like I, I, and yes, I know he becomes like evil Batman who killed Superman. But honestly, I was like, that's pretty badass. Actually, I enjoyed that that he killed Superman. This version of Batman would do that. Who do you think put him in that armor? Huh? Ooh. Yeah, no, that's the thing with, with the the armor, the, the exoskeleton that he's in, and the the reveal that he he killed him, and and even referencing a, a direct line from Dark Knight Returns, which was also used in Batman v Superman about the lesson his parents taught him about, you know, mm-hmm. the world only makes sense if you force it to. Again, like you said, this melting pot sort of taking the Dark Knight Returns and Kingdom Come iterations of the character, but also sprinkling in the old man Bruce of of Batman Beyond, which again, at the jump, you probably think you're heading into that territory. Yeah, the Bat of the Future, Earth 99. It, yeah, exactly. So, you know, kind of 
spinning that all together. I mean, even a few years ago, watching this to, to finally see this guy get the chance to to perform the character in live action was amazing. And and rewatching it now after his relatively recent passing, it you know it meant even more, and it really it yes. really packed a punch. And I I love the way it played. I mean, I. You know, I'm I'm not I I love Batman. He's probably my second favorite character, but it's you know I don't feel as strongly as as when we talk about Superman. Did you have mm-hmm. was there any part of you that wished um well I guess that you sound like you are okay with him taking the villainous turn in here? Like or do you feel like, oh man, it would I would have preferred if he had been the more like the Batman Beyond version? Well, I wish he was a paragon for sure. You know, I mean that would have made so much sense. Like, oh here here's Bat here's our Bat we can't have Batman on this show, but here's our loophole. We have old man Bruce Wayne and he's part of because the Paragon should have been the Justice League, right? I mean, if you really think of like you should have had a Superman, a Batman. Where's the Wonder Woman representation? Unacceptable. Huge mark against this. Linda Carter was a guest star on the show for several years, Supergirl. At least one season. I I don't know how long. Um uh, because there's a Wonder Woman movie. Uh guess what? There's a Flash movie. <laughs> Like, I don't understand. I know. Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, here and there, but that that should have been, right, the Paragons. And so so Kevin Carnery should, to me, should have been that. But he wasn't, but he had some, they had interesting things to do. He's like, you you say you you start with a code and then you take one life. I'm like, this is, this is engaging with why does Batman kill? Like, this is such a, as we well know, an ongoing <laughs> conversation in fandom about these heroes killing. And he's engaging with that. And, um... And I, I, I love his criticism of Superman because this is a very Frank Miller. He's like, Clark, anyone with a badge or a flag. And that is a legitimate criticism of Superman. He's a naive guy who's going to just listen to authority. Um, and, and I don't know, like, we 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 have enough other versions of all this to kind of fill in the gaps of what might have happened on this on this world. And uh, it's depressing, too. Um, I mean, it's like, hey, listen to me. There's no hope. I'm like, damn. That's his last words. I know. <laughs> but it's, I, I feel like there's, it wasn't just evil Batman for the sake of it. Like, I feel like they made it, and, then, and that informs Kate's story. Yes. Too, right? She it, it, How she's going to proceed moving forward. So there was something here for him more so than, I mean, arguably, obviously more than for Tom Willing. I think Brandon Routh had, had, a, had a, you know, decent story thread there, but then he got erased, <laughs> you know? Um, but I feel like as short as it was, he was in a few scenes and he did have a, like a start milling in to, to his appearance here on, on the, on the crisis. No, absolutely. And like his perspective was informed by the little bits that were given and the rest that we can fill in from the other stories we've experienced. And yeah, when he's talking about, uh, like you said, starting with the code, I mean, you know, of course I think back to, you know, 20 years in Gotham, how many good guys are left? How many stayed that way? It's like, you know, the, you see the effect of all of those years and the toll that they've taken on him. So, and I watched on the disc, there, there are a bunch of uh, featurettes and they have a lot of interviews and behind the scenes stuff. And uh, they had an interview with Kevin Conroy on set, and he talked about how it was one thing to main to your point. That's not what he sounds like, <laughs> and it was one thing to maintain the the Batman voice in the recording booth doing the animated series for a couple of hours at a time, but filming those scenes for like a twelve hour day, he's like it really was a lot to you know stay in that zone uh, for that amount of time. So you know it was cool to just get his insight into that as well. Yeah, and and you and you see uh, the the Burt Mobile in the Batcave under a tarp. And yeah, I think you see like a, at least something that looks like an Adam West back computer. So like, again, these, these melting pots of the characters or that, that's, that's how you have to do this thing. Cause you can't have one of everything everywhere. They're not going to go. Oh, <laughs> I was, I was going to say, you're not going to go to Michael Keaton's earth, but can I, can I just talk about that for a <laughs> second? Um, Robert wool. Cool to see him. Right. Uh, why is the bat symbol, the Batwoman symbol 
And why is the newspaper Batman captures the Joker? Like, what is this, right? Now, headcanon, that's a Batman Beyond Bat signal. And that's the return of the Joker newspaper. That's the only explanation I could possibly have. Are you telling me the Bat signal is, is you, don't, you don't have the rights to use that? The, the Batman 89 Bat signal? Like, what, what, what is that about? Like, if you're going <laughs> to, am I nitpicking? I don't know. But if you're going to go get Robert Wool as the character from Batman 89, could you put the right Bat signal in the sky? Is it that much to ask? Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good question. Uh, other than other than Lois and Clark, Dean Cain and Derry Hatcher, are there any other you feel missed opportunities? Any cameo? I mean, Rosenbaum, but like any other cameos? Are like, oh, I would have loved to have seen this, and particularly in the realm of television, like this show represented in some way. We even had, oh, we, we didn't we, mention Lucifer, but you know, we even had Lucifer there oh, too. Lucifer, yeah. Um, so that was a great cameo. I watched the Tom Welling season of Lucifer, so it worked on me. Like nobody knew that was going to happen. Him talking to Constantine, perfect, like so perfect. Uh, and knowing the show that I do, he's like, "Oh, you remind me of my brother," because on the show, right. he's he he's got a brother that looks like Diggle, and and then just he's such a sleaze. She's like, like, you know, he asks Mia, like, "What do you want?" He's like, "I want to save my father." He's like, "Oh, daddy issues." I'm like, "This is this is perfect." Like, this is I don't know. Like that was I don't know two minutes. Yeah, but just a delightful cameo. And guess what? They didn't announce that. Tom Ellis is going to be in crisis. And guess what? He showed up and it was fun and we moved on. Um, so that was actually a highlight for me. I wrote, did you watch the Tom Welling season of Lucifer? I did. And I, I watched a few scenes when he was announced, but I, I hadn't kept up with the show. And I, this is my OCD nature where I'm like, I couldn't just yeah. jump into season three, but I, I, I watched the yeah. pilot. I liked it. I, I, it's one of those things I'll probably get to at some point. I just, I would never, I would never think I would watch a show called Lucifer. <laughs> Honestly for me, but I'm like, that's the power of Smallville right there. Got me watching that Tom Welling season. Ah, uh, great camera. No, good. I'm glad you called that out. Uh, we mentioned it. Krypton, you know? Yeah. I believe they tried to get him in there somehow with the scheduling and that's the, I one. don't know how he would have fit Segel, uh, uh, Cameron Cuff, but I don't know something, something to some, I mean, you know, it's like, even if he had been there, it probably wouldn't have been what I wanted. Cause I would have wanted like an exposition dump of how the series was, <laughs> <laughs> was supposed to end up. So I had a wife and so and so you're like, oh, that's who it was, right? Um, he should have been a paragon. Segel <laughs> should have been one of the paragons, man. Across time and space. Yeah. Time, yes. So that to me, that's you just finishing, like again, picking up things that never got concluded. That's that's your opportunity here, right? So I, to me, that's a huge missed opportunity. And as I mentioned earlier, Wonder Woman, what are you doing? Like she's part of the Trinity here. Um, I know you're not gonna get Gal Gadot on the TV show. I understand that. But you have Linda Carter, like who who you have her phone number. You also have Dean and Terry's phone numbers, by the way. Uh, I'm, so I'm, we're not asking for things that are out of the realm of possibility. We're just there's people who've been on these shows before. Uh, I would have liked to see. Um, I don't know. Maybe 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 she can be uh, Hippolyta on Paradise Island or something, and that's Linda Carter. Like I don't. There are ways to do it. Yeah. I, I don't know, but to me, that's th those are the biggest opportunities to me. I don't. What about you? Anything we haven't mentioned yet? No, I mean, I feel like those those were the ones. I think yeah, the Lois and Clark and the Krypton. Yeah, I don't disagree about Wonder Woman. That is kind of <laughs> a glaring omission. I mean, look, we, we were very used to on Smallville, but the Batman and Superman <laughs> omissions. But uh, I mean, Batman and Wonder Woman. But you know, here, uh, obviously, we were into Bat territory. Yeah, I don't know. That was, that's kind of odd. But I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there was anything else specifically that was well, on my wish list. Green Lantern? Like a real Green Lantern? I mean, Diggle becomes Green Lantern at the series finale, and then they undo it, which is extremely frustrating, because that was a huge 
was for me in the Arrow series finale. But uh, I get they didn't want to, they wouldn't want to do that here. Right. Although that's, is that not the perfect time to do it? To see a cutaway of, you know, John Diggle flying around on Earth, you know, 17 and he's Green Lantern and he gets erased. Like, can we do that? Like, I see we that's the, it's frustrating as DC fans because we know there's all these weird rules with WB and they're always changing. Marvel, you never had this conversation. It's like, oh, yeah, well, Spider-Man, come fight with Captain America. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Like, uh, so my son is a huge fan of Spidey and his amazing friends on, on Disney Plus, And uh, it's it's a great show for uh, for all ages. I, I enjoy it as well. And of course, you know, now Marvel has the Fantastic Four and everything. And Thing is there as as one of the characters. I don't think they've done the full Fantastic Four yet, but the Thing is there. And it's just like, yeah, great. You know, but I know I know it's true. It's like as DC fans, we always have to have to ponder these things. But I, look, as much as we can talk about things we wish they they had done that they didn't, they they fit a lot in. I can only imagine just from a logistical standpoint, what a headache this was to, to put together uh, it's just in terms of all of the scheduling with the, with the regulars and then factoring in all of the guest cast. So yeah, it's, it's an achievement. It really it's is a- not to end on a, on a down note, but it's just like, I was thinking about this because we, you know, we both talked about how we, we fell off with the Arrowverse and I, I, you know, maybe there are some fans out there who disagree, but I think it's fair to say that this did not, this universe, the shared television universe did not go out with the bang, but rather went out with a whimper. And hey, hey, Anthony, that that reminds me of another DC universe that recently ended. Yeah, I know. I I know. Like that's and that's the thing. And and uh, watching watching Crisis and especially rewatching it in the end, it it ultimately was this sort of conclusion, at least to these big events. And then the show's kind of sputtered out. But as you're watching it, and especially when you get to the end with this proto justice league getting together in the hall of justice and sitting down at the table it felt like a new beginning even so it felt like an end in the sense that oliver's story was coming to an end that the one that mm-hmm. started all of this so we do have an ending point and uh we now have but but we have this new earth we have this uh team that now has a meeting place and so it did feel like this was setting up more to come that just didn't come to fruition and i feel like i don't know there's this might just be a case of a lot of forces converging against the Arrowverse because you have, I mean, you have COVID, which was right after uh, this wrapped up in, in early 2020. Uh, the end of Arrow, which maybe dealt more of a blow to the Arrowverse than they than they thought it would. Yeah. Uh, just fatigue, you know, right? The fact that, like we said, these shows have been going for so long and for so many episodes. And look, Flash and Supergirl and even Legends, I mean, at, at the point of this Arrowverse crossover, we're getting a little long in the tooth. It wasn't like they had they were just getting off the ground. They've been going for right. quite some time. Uh, and the other thing I think about too, and I think about this on the Marvel side as well with Endgame, because you hear a lot of talk about superhero fatigue and especially on the MCU side and other factors at play there. But the idea I keep coming back to is, for me at least, I look at Endgame and it was just this culminate, like this massive culmination of years worth of storytelling. And there is a part of me that maybe was just so satisfied with it where I'm like, okay, like I'm kind of, I'm kind of good. I'm not as, not as invested or plugged in as what's to come. And so I wonder if maybe there's a little bit of that too. Like this was such a huge event that they've been building to. And maybe that just sort of satiated the need of, uh, of the audience. But I don't know. What do you attribute the, the, the the sputtering out of the Arrowverse to ultimately. I mean, those are all valid 
explanations. I, I think it's a combination of all of it. I think it's just it's a good jumping off point. You're like, okay, good, we're, we're set. I mean, this is like you're talking about Marvel. It's like the end of Phase One, right? Of the Arrowverse, whatever that was going to be, and now Phase Two, like a lot of real world things got in the way as well. Because uh, I mean, there was going to be a Superman Lois Batwoman crossover, and that never happened. What what kind of weird alternate? Timeline is that existent? John Diggle was like, which version of that guy is on Superman and Lois? Nobody <laughs> thought about that. It's I, I love like, and I, I I enjoy pointing about they're fun to me. Like I don't say like, ha, you made a mistake, show. I'm like, it's fun to see like them not knowing what they're doing and trying something else. Um, I think that's what it was. Like you're like, this felt like okay. Like what else can you do? Where do you go from there? And I guess you have the Justice League with their chairs and black lightning is like. So how often does the Earth almost end? Like <laughs> black lightning. Like, come on, like a highlight of this underused. Um, so good. That scene with him and Barry on the Wave Rider, beautiful. Yes. That little nod between him and Diggle. Dude, I was going to bring it up. That's like, shout out to our friend Lance Laster. Like, that's his favorite moment of crisis when he gives Diggle a nod. I'm like, all right, this place is all right. Yeah, <laughs> so good. So good. I mean, I can't imagine. You think and that was scripted? Lightning. I feel like, like they that's just the kind did of guy. He's, a, he's just, a, just a charismatic, strong character. And, he, and that's, the, that's the kind of guy you're going to bring into the fold. And that's that's why I was more excited about this Justice League to see. Oh, cool! What I want to see Black Lightning and the Flash interact, and what's going to happen there. And yeah, he did come back for that Armageddon crossover a couple years later. But you know, the Ryan Choi just disappears, and nobody cares. Um, Mia does come back, obviously, in the Arrow series finale. But she's this huge part of the first four parts, and she's not even in part five. I understand why because she's from the future. But um, you know, the, the, there was the promise for more, but like. What does that more look like? You know, we all of I say all of us, excuse me, but like a lot of us were only watching the crossovers at that point. So like I don't like I don't I come back for this stuff, but I'm not gonna watch the flash every week and and see what happens. So speaking of things that got restored though, like vibe is back, right? Carlos Valdez. I and I because I did watch the last season of The Flash, all the episodes, sorely missed. The lack of Cisco. It's he's just the Cisco-shaped hole that they could never fill in with all these extra characters they try and plug in. He's he, him criticizing the name Anti-Monitor. I'm like, oh, I love you, Cisco. Yes. Like, so was that, can we workshop that a bit? Is that I also I gotta give a shout out to Tom Cavanaugh because the the ability to to sell some of these lines with a straight face, like once I was Nash, but now I am Pariah. It's like, all right. <laughs> you know, he does really look like Pariah in the comics. Like, that's actually very good. Like, well, I guess, Tom, you look like we got to find, we got to use you. So I guess you're going to be Farah. Um, now and we're well, just talking that, over the place. But, but. <laughs> no, but that too is just as far as, you know, buttoning this up and again, what it drew from the comics, what it maintained, that idea of Pariah being responsible or feeling responsible for unleashing the anti-monitor, you know, different context here with that cosmic doorway or tunnel underground but but still that same sort of idea of this of this guilt and then uh bearing the burden of of having to watch all of this yeah so i think it really preserved the core aspects of the comic within this context i know you you had mentioned wanting to to rank the episodes i think we could probably knock that out quickly what do you think do you want to you want to go for let's it let's do it yeah um uh, it's surprising to me, even maybe it's my fandom of the, the 1990 flash that puts over the top, but I would rank episode three first, uh, then two, then one, then five, then four. Mine are exactly the same. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, I, I, see two and three I've gone back on because of, because of Tom Welling, because of Brandon Ralph, because of Kevin Conroy, but that's really the only reason. But, but three, I think is the strongest overall. 
I can't I can't discount the emotional reaction I had watching the Flash's sacrifice and mm-hmm. and the fact that it takes not not that fidelity to the to the source material is that crucial to me, even though I know I've mentioned it a bunch of times, but the fact that it took that core moment, I mean, that's such an iconic moment from the comics and I feel like elevated it and, and really, you know, elicited an emotional reaction. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that. That's exactly how I would rank them as well. Hey, this is a random question as you wrap up, it has nothing to do with really anything, but David Herwood, is he your favorite Martian Manhunter? Cause I think he might be mine with all due respect to Phil Morris. Oh Yeah. I would have to, yeah, I would have to go with him. I because mean, he had so much more time in the character yeah, with the character but he, well. he's, he has such intensity. Like that scene with Natch, like, you almost, damn, I saw him. Like, damn, this guy's got some energy to him. And I I, I heard him on um, Rosenbaum's Inside You podcast you know, a few years ago, and he was like, they're always trying to put like some necklace on me or some curse to like power me down. <laughs> he's just, he's a fun interview. And he had a lot of great stories, by the way, too. So I recommend you guys seek that out. And the only thing, like he wasn't like the John Jones, of, I liked that Smallville at least did the Detective John Jones thing and all that, but you know, we saw him for two seconds in absolute justice of the full Master Manhunter. We got to see David Harewood a lot more. So uh, just seeing him in this and he got the new costume at the end and that sort of thing. So I, because people ask me, who's your, you know, what's your people ask me? Like I'm like, people need to know or want to know, but like you talk with your friends about who's your favorite version of this or that. And I think I always used to say Phil Morris by default, but I'm like, I think I got to go with, got to go with Supergirl's Martian Manhunter. Not, not a uh, Harry Lennox. That we're not, we don't have time for that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I have to. I have to go uh, with the yeah with the Supergirl iteration of the character. Yeah. Probably my favorite. I I do have a, it's definitely a soft spot for the Phil Morris version. So, but yeah, I know, I know it's a random question to end on, but it just <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we you know as we as we just passed the two hour mark, but I feel like we've uh, I feel like we've done this crossover justice. Was there anything we didn't talk about with respect to Arrow versus Crisis that you that you wanted to? Nothing really covered it. Um, oh, I have one last thing, and I, it's not much to say other than oh yeah, shout out to the music because yeah. the score for this, and actually I talked about this when I was when we did our original Red Skies event when I was reading the original Crisis and struggling a little bit to <laughs> to get through all those issues, and I was playing the score from this television event, and it's it was just it was awesome and epic and right it was like a live orchestra like they scored this differently than they than they did the regular episodes. Am I correct? I believe so. Uh, I, I've listened to that many times on Spotify myself, so I, I I don't know the behind the scenes story at all. But it does sound like like a little more powerful. And they got, uh, I mean, they use, you know, I'm all about the John Williams music, so they use that for Superman. They got some Danny Elfman Batman in there, right? So, and of course the Danny Elfman Shirley Walker Flash stuff, fantastic. I mean that that brings that emotion home for that. And then the themes of the shows, right? They incorporate, you know, the the Arrow theme, the Supergirl theme, and all those shows at the appropriate moments. Like that means a lot. It's not just like generic action music like they did a good job weaving in all these themes at the appropriate time so no good good shout out on the score there oh i i promise this really is the last thing but just because this got it we didn't talk about this but this got a fair amount of play in the episodes especially the earlier ones but the interplay between Kara and kate kane and of course they are the ones who team up and they go to to you know the kevin conroy batman but i liked what i really liked was kate leaves gotham with the piece of kryptonite that bruce had yes and 
there's this moment where, where Kara wants to use the Book of Destiny to try to bring back her Earth, and and Kate stops her, and there's this bit with the- She's like, you can't stop me. She's like, I'll try. I'm like, I don't like, I, I really was buying into that energy between two of them, right? Exactly. And then, uh, you know, not too long, I think the next, the next scene that they have together- Some Two scenes later. <laughs> Kate shows her the, the kryptonite, and Kara tells her to keep it. And I just, I love that because that's straight out of the comics and this whole mm-hmm. idea of, of Clark entrusting Bruce with the kryptonite ring in case- I'm ever controlled. You need to stop me. I trust you that much with it. So, uh, so yeah, I like that. I mean, even though, again, I, we, you know, they, they had to use Tyler Hecklin's Clark to further Kara's story and Kevin Conroy's Batman to further Kate's story. But, but these are their characters. These, these are, their, are characters their main characters and they're, yeah. it's, that's their shows. And so I they like- They were setting up them as the world's finest. I totally get yep. it. I, they, I totally get it. Like, I, 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 I like you. I'm like, how do I feel about this? No, I, I understand. Um, and I was, and those actresses had great chemistry, they you know, did. Ruby Rose and Melissa Benoist. So, well, that was another thing when I was r- rattling off all the reasons why <laughs> the Arrowverse fell apart. But another one, Ruby Rose leaving, huge loss. Yeah. So that's another factor in all of this. But uh, it's, again, it's one of those things I still can't believe this happened. I can't believe they adapted yeah. the story that they had. That they had five shows they could cross over cross. It's like it's amazing. It's really amazing. And uh, yeah. for anyone listening to this, if you. If you haven't watched it, or probably more likely, if you haven't rewatched it in a while, if you haven't rewatched it in one shot, I, I, it's it's worth a watch. It's a lot of fun uh, factoring, and especially knowing the flow of this, and you know where maybe some of the weaker spots are going to be. Uh, it, it's definitely worth a watch. And you mentioned this before, but uh, the the relevant seasons of each of the shows on their Blu-rays, they had a bonus disc with all five parts on on one disc and with the special features. And I I bought season eight of Arrow. Just, just to get, it was like 18 bucks. And I was like, well, let me just get this. And I was, as opposed to, you know, cobbling together episodes from different streaming services and whatnot, I was like, I just want it's all in one place. That's how I watched it for this uh, on the disc because the last time I watched it, I was skipping all around. And I, I do not envy anyone who, who experiences the Arrowverse in the future and didn't watch it kind of the way we did because they're going to be totally lost. And I recommend people just go seek out online what order to watch this stuff in because you're going to be, there's no easy way other than if you have the discs. So that is a great point. So, of course, people hear the plug for Always Hold On to Smallville and your family of shows. Uh, but is there any anything in particular you want to mention to folks? No, you know, we're, we're uh, going through season nine where we're in the stretch run here. And uh, as I understand it, Anthony, our episode on conspiracy is going to be coming out around the same time as this episode. So uh, a nice unintentional, speaking of crossovers, a nice unintentional crossover between, uh, between Digging for Kryptonite and Always Hold On to Smallville. So, yeah, just uh, find us on... Uh, Social media at always Smallville with one S, and uh, we are going to be wrapping up our episode by episode coverage of Smallville this calendar year. So, uh, exciting times! Very bittersweet, very bittersweet. But uh, yeah, I hope everyone will check out uh, all of your shows. And yeah, I was honored to come on to talk about conspiracy. So, folks, if you haven't heard enough of the two of us, <laughs> make sure you tune in. Well, I, I should shout out. Uh, I have two other shows on my on my quote unquote network on the Always on the Smallville network. Uh, always on the Arrow, hosted by Lance Lasterick and Monte Chillis, and Always on to DC's Legends of Tomorrow, hosted by Matt Shrooks and Trisha Ennis. And they are covering since you know we're talking about the crossover of those two shows. Um, they're covering those shows, so you know they they've, they're they're going to get here at some point, and some of them have, and some of them haven't uh, when it comes to crisis stuff. So so if you love the Arrowverse, go check out those shows. Right on. I echo all of that. So thank you, Zach. Thank you, audience. Always appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you come back next week for another all-new episode. And until then, it's about what you do. It's about action. 
Be sure to check out our sister podcast series, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the classic George Reeves television show, available wherever you get podcasts. Please join us on social media, become a patron, and subscribe, rate, and review today. Links are in the show notes. Thank you all.